the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton, a show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the world of education. Now, this episode is a GCSE special, which features not one, but two very, very, very special guests. The first is my very own head of department, Karen Wilkinson. Karen is an extremely experienced and hardworking teacher and head of department, and I have learned so much over the last seven years working with her, in particular how Karen prepares our year 11s for their GCSEs. So, hot on the heels of this summer's GCSE exam series, I thought it would be fascinating to get her take on how things went, with a focus on the Edexcel higher papers. So, we discussed what has Karen learned from last year's exam and how has this informed this year's preparation? What does the day of the exam look like from a head of department's perspective? What did Karen use in between the three papers with our students? Then we take a deep dive into the papers themselves, with Karen picking out questions she liked and more importantly, questions she did not like. So if you want to play along at home, make sure you have your copy of Higher Papers 1, 2 and 3 from Edexcel's Summer 2018 GCSE exam series to hand. What was Karen's view of the exam series overall? And what advice would she have for Edexcel going forward? Now, Karen is one of those people who doesn't realise she's great, but she really, really is. And I think you are going to love hearing from her. And then it's time to bring on my second special guest, which marks a return to the podcast for Edexcel's head of maths, Graham Cumming. Graham was the second ever guest on this podcast back in 2015 when I tried to get to the bottom of what on earth this new GCSE specification was going to look like. Well, now that we've been through two summer sittings and one November sitting, I thought it would be great to invite Graham back on to answer your questions. And boy, did the questions come flying in. So I asked Graham the following and much, much more besides. What did he learn from last summer's exam series? Does he look at the other board's exam papers? What was Graham's favourite question from this year's papers? Why were this year's exams so much easier than last year's? Why on earth would you test the same skill multiple times when other topics didn't come up at all? Are the literacy demands of the foundation paper right for students taking that paper? How on earth shall teachers decide upon tiers of entry? And then the big one, asked by Mel from Just Maths. What on earth has changed? We've been through four years of stress and confusion, and is anything really any different? Now, whatever awarding body you are with, I really hope you'll find this episode interesting. So, get your Edexcel exam papers at the ready, and let's dive in as I talk to Karen Wilkinson from Thornley Salesian College in Sunny Bolton and Graham Cumming from Edexcel. There'll be no takeaway from me this time at the end of this episode, mostly because I want to spend some time with my long-suffering, very, very lovely wife. Enjoy this one, take care, and bye for now. OK, 
Okay, so I am joined here today by a lady who I've had the pleasure of working with for six years, maybe? Possibly more. Possibly even more. Uh, Karen Wilkinson. So, Karen, do you want to just say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, Craig. Nice to be working with you again this week. Nice. Um, so, just a bit of background about myself. So, straight from doing my degree, more or less, I've been into teaching, so I haven't really had a break from the education sector at all. <laughs> um, probably been teaching roughly for about 16 years, so please don't try and work out how old that makes <laughs> me. Um, and in that time, I've obviously seen quite a number of um, spec changes. What, when I first started teaching, there was coursework there. It was three-tier, foundation, intermediate and higher. And there were two papers, non-calculator and calculator. And throughout my time, there's been some tweaks to it, but I think everyone has felt that this is the biggest change in that period, not only with the spec changes, but also with all the grading changes as well. Because do you remember, what year was that kind of allegedly the last big change 2010 and we like everyone was panicking right yeah thinking this was going to be well different and, and the specimen papers that came out really scared everybody yep. into thinking what on earth are we going to get yep. and then the paper appeared and it was <laughs> as if nothing had actually it was literally changed. exactly the same wasn't it yeah i mean the, i suppose the change really the, the big change within that was going from three tier to two tier yeah um, and I'm still not entirely sure what I feel about that. I think that we've lost out a little bit, perhaps with um, our top end. Um, I think it was right not to have a foundation paper that you couldn't technically pass. So I, I do understand where that shift came from. But I do think that certain students have missed out that mm. would have been better on the intermediate and, and likewise the higher. So this well, might be the... the uh, the eventual solution to that, you never know. Who knows? But we were certainly, from 2010, we didn't see much of a change, but we were expecting something big we were. for this, weren't we? We absolutely were. We went into a bit of a panic. You know, it's gone three, four years of planning. Spec changes led to schemes of learning changes, the way in which we're teaching things, how we expose students to this new style of learning you know, staff training that has gone on with it as well, making sure that our teachers know what the new topics are and how to deliver them more yeah, importantly yeah. and how all of it might ultimately be tested. And like whenever the spec papers came out, I mean you remember the first set of papers, we'd never seen anything like it, right? No. No. I mean I think bizarre. there was just absolute dread, like how are we going to prepare our students ultimately for this? So we got through one. We got through one year of, of this, and then so what I'm interested first, Karen, is what was your what did you learn from the first run through of the paper, and how did it inform how you prepared this year's Year Elevens? So when we reflected back, obviously, when the results came in, um, we had to look back at what we'd done, and I think probably the biggest change came around the middle ability groups. I think to, to a large extent, we'd got the top sets right. Um, perhaps we needed a, a little bit more in the way of challenge in terms of the application. So we'd already recognised that. Um, and I think for, for largely the, the low ability, it was fit for purpose for those as well. Um, the middle ability, it was around, you know, how do we manage the vast amount of content without losing sight of the basics as well. And I think when you've got a middle ability student, you're always kind of wondering as you go along which tier is the best for that such student and the worst thing you can do in my eyes is is put a child in for the wrong tier i want to know that any tier 
decisions that have been made have been made informed um, looking at that individual student. So in terms of how do we prepare for the wealth of, of information, one of the big things that, that we used this year was the, the development of the low stakes quizzes, which I know we'd already discussed between me and you, Craig. I know that you're big into that, um, and I'd heard about it from other sources as well. And it was that regular repetition. And we'd, we'd done a, some aspects of sure. that the year before. We called it repetitive assessment, but it didn't quite look like what mm. I think it needed to. So we had a whole year drive that then filtered down. So we're actually now adopting the low states quizzes all through the school. And um, what, what differences were you seeing there? Was it those kind of middle groups getting better at the basic skills? Yeah, I think so. And obviously the having the basics then allows them to access some of the more difficult questions. So what we were finding when we went through our scripts last year was students knew how to access the questions. I think we spent a lot of time on content, but what was letting some of them down was the actual maths, yeah. you know, working out the the actual questions, the answers to the questions. So that's interesting. So they were they were picking up what the questions were about, but then kind of making slips so, yeah. and their, their lack of knowledge was holding them back. Yeah, because I think with all the sets that we decided were doing the higher tier, we had this kind of... We felt it was necessary that they could access as much of the paper as, you, as they could. And, and as you know, the content's absolutely huge now. Yeah. We were very content-driven, I felt, and so we weren't revisiting enough some of the the topics that we'd covered and we're more or less putting that onto them to, to do whereas we've now threaded that within um, both our teaching on a weekly basis and also within our homeworks that we set early doors God. before we started on the exam paper. So would that have been the biggest kind of the biggest kind of lesson learned would you say from last year was, was there anything else? I think so and I think the other thing was sometimes we were a little bit indecisive about what tier they might be doing and I think that made staff feel a little bit unsure and possibly the students. So the biggest thing that I wanted this year was that students and staff were, f were fully on board and knew exactly what they were preparing for. And any tier changes that were made were really done as the exception this year. I felt that it, it's, I think there's a bit of a misconception that it's quite easy mm. to move any vulnerables from higher to foundation yeah. without much need of of kind of preparing them and I don't think that that's the it's case. No, it's a different ball game isn't it? Yeah. You go from kids who were, it was kind of enough to just answer a few questions on the higher, but when they go to foundation they, they, they've got to well, they've, they've nail a load of questions right and that they can't be, it's a confidence thing, it's a stamina thing, it's a concentration thing, it's, a, it's a whole different psychology Absolutely. answering a foundation than a higher. And, and it, like you say it's about the mindset you know they're going mm. from a higher paper where they know that 20 25 yeah, marks yeah, would yeah. scrape them by whereas now on the foundation that they're, they're looking towards 50 marks yeah, plus yeah. to be safe if you like on the grade four so it's that shift in perception as well although i think everyone's learned that and most schools are now shifting that boundary and, and getting students into the mindset that you go into that exam trying absolutely everything that you can absolutely um, and i think that's right um, but still that shift can can come back to bite you if you're not careful so got it superb okay right well we're recording this at the end of the uh, 2018 gcse exam series it's uh, what what day are we on today friday so friday the friday. friday so the last exam was on the 
Tuesday, Tuesday morning for GCSE. Tuesday yes. morning. Although for GCSE. my A level students are currently in their core four exams. This is so. it. We're very lucky to get some time <laughs> with it, Mrs. Wilkinson today. So, uh, what I want to ask you first, Karen, is I want to just give the listeners a sense of kind of a. The, the experience you go through as a kind of head of department and as a teacher yourself um, around about this exam time. So let, let me start with the night before. Are, are you nervous the night before? Do you, do you struggle sleeping or anything like that? I actually don't. Um, I think we have quite a, a decent package of preparation here. We always have our students the day before for some period of time. And what I say to the other teachers in my department is this isn't about bombarding with information now, this is about settling nerves, exposing them to, to, to content that they can access, yeah. you know, building a bit of confidence. And so I feel like once we've had that day before and I've gone home, I feel quite com confident in myself that we couldn't do any more. Um, I think the, the fear that I have always is when I actually come to the paper and I'm ready <laughs> yeah. to actually look at it. Okay, well, let's do, let, let's do, the, let's do the morning of yeah. the exam. So we come around to the morning of the exam. What, what are you doing with the kids in the morning? So we have pre-exam briefings for all our subjects here. And what that consists of, in the past with the legacy paper, we might have actually covered topic, mm. information, key points. We've actually moved away from that now, especially because we have the Hiram Foundation in the same venue and we've got more doing the foundations here than we had in the past. Um, what we tend to do now is actually put that key information onto posters as subliminal messages rather yes. than deliver it at the front to everybody. And you have like staff kind of don't we have a covered way here so as, as kids are walking to the exam the staff have kind of got these things kind of held yeah. up right and it's the usual little tips you know so exterior angles add up to 360 cumulative frequency is up a bound curve and things like that just so as they're going in hopefully it's just going into the mind subconsciously and we're not literally bombarding them with information so the briefings this time have really taken the the kind of way of exam strategy and we've actually used what Mel from Just Maths shared um, we, we adapted that so you know telling the students if you're going to cross an answer out don't scribble it just put a line through it make sure you've read the question properly don't just highlight everything think about what you're highlighting don't forget units make sure you label what you've found so just general exam strategy um, tips Really. Got it. Super. All right. So now let's move then to straight after the exam. So the well, the exam starts at nine. It's we're coming up to kind of half ten, quarter to eleven. What what's going on there? Do you, how quick do you get you you do you want to get your hands on the paper as soon as Absolutely. possible? Absolutely. And I think everybody does, don't they? So you know, I go into that exam hall. We see them out, and then that's when we can access the paper and. As I first look at it, it is nerve-wracking and I think any teacher would agree with me when I say that what you want to see when you open that paper is a fair paper. We're, we're not, what do you mean by that? Well, we're not bothered about challenge. Actually, we, we want challenge. I think there was some criticism that I agree with in paper one and two. You know, where's the grade nine stuff? I Knowing some of our students that are going for that grade nine, our top end, 
I think it was possible to get 100% on both those papers for those students. And so how are they going to differentiate between the 8 and the 9 there? Is that grey boundary going to increase rapidly now? Um, that's what I'm interested to know because I believed that the grade 9 was supposed to be this top kind of 5% and I think that there'd have been quite a number of students that could score quite highly on those first two papers. And I guess we should say here we're kind of focusing mainly on the higher. We are right? focusing on the higher, what? although the foundation, having chatted to other members of staff, not just in this school but others, I think on the whole people have felt that the foundation papers were fair papers. What, what do you mean by fair for the the kids who aren't going for kind of grade nines? So what, what, what would be a fair paper we for We want them? students to have a chance to shine. And, you know, students, teachers, we work hard and we painstakingly persevere <laughs> with topics, you know, the new to topics, capture, recapture method, product rule for counting. Some of these topics staff have never actually learned themselves. We've gone through it, we've looked at all the material available, um, recurring decimals to fractions, angles in polygons, reverse mean compound interest with a multiplier and a power to the number of years and you get that light bulb moment don't you in your lesson where they're finally yeah, grasping yeah, yeah, it yeah. and the amount of quizzes that are created that repeated yes. these skills i've never seen a set of students bearing in mind that i had that middle ability mm. that could easily have been either foundation yep. or higher and the recurring decimals they nailed it more than i've ever seen students nail it before and I, and I think that that's true across the schools everybody is working really really hard um, and you want them to go in and show off what they know and I'm guessing here that then a frustration for you is the fact that these topics that you're listing didn't come up is that, is that right? A number of them didn't um, but as teachers as well we, we do want to see that challenge towards the end we want the grade nines to be rewarded mm. for the talent that they have you know, other talents get rewarded. This is a talent. To be a decent mathematician yeah. is a talent in itself. So we're looking at it and we're thinking, does the paper assess a breadth of topics right. in a fair way? That's, that's what I'm looking and for. We, and, and we know it's going to be impossible to cover everything, Absolutely. Right? But you, absolutely. Want, you want as much... Would it be fair to say you want as much content covered as possible? I think so, because, you know, you reflect back and you think... If students had only chosen to, to learn certain things, if some schools weren't abreast of the changes and taught to the legacy paper, were they necessarily disadvantaged? Mm. And, you know, when you, you look through the, the three papers and you see two questions on probability trees, three questions on finding the gradient of straight lines, admittedly, two of them were within context, uh, a number of questions on bounds and the effects of changing numbers within calculations, I'm all for testing that, but my question would be, is it fair to test that as, as much as they did at the sacrifice to your topics that I've just mentioned, as well as cumulative frequency, frequency polygons, set notation. Yes, there was a Venn diagram, but no testing of set notation, it, expanding triple brackets. It is strange, isn't it? Because the paper is never going to be fully predictable. No, and, and I don't think it should no. be. And I think, I do wonder whether the exam boards are thinking 
along those lines sometimes that they don't yeah, want a predictable yeah. paper. But it seems madness to test the same skill yeah. more than once when at the sacrifice of other skills that we know kids have spent hours and hours Absolutely. learning, right? And again, that goes back to your point that we, we want the kids to shine. We want them to show the full range of what they can do. And it's, and it's always going to be the way that if a topic's tested more than once, a child could get lucky that that could be one of their good topics and another child could get really unlucky. Whereas if it was one of those others like compound interest or something on there then it will be reversed the other way around and that that, that seems both unfair and preventable to me as I well. I think so and I think as well it's the way like some of those topics made an appearance but it's the way in which they made an mm. appearance as well so how they were actually tested so for example um, we had a question on um, rationalising denominators mm. which wasn't actually testing rationalising denominators. Now, yeah, can you, what, what paper was that? That was on paper... Just because I know people will be playing along at home here with the, with the papers in hand. Paper one, I'm sure it was. I'm yeah, just flicking right. through now. And if it wasn't paper one, it was paper two. I'm nearly there. It's towards the end. And Karen and I are going to be yes, picking out some two. of our favourites. So paper two, question... Paper two, question 20. And really, question 20, A was testing negative rules. So there was no real kind of understanding there, no testing of the understanding of what, what approach you take. You might argue, well, if they didn't know how to rationalise the denominator, they might have thought the first step was wrong, mm. fair enough. But I think a lot of students wouldn't have looked necessarily at that, but looked at the answer. And I know that some students actually plugged it into the calculator right. and got that the answer was wrong and then retraced back yes. backwards. And then the second one, again, wasn't necessarily testing, rationalising the denominator. It was simplifying a third. And I just think, you know, if you've got a top set and you've spent perhaps one or two weeks and you've revisited it and revisited it, I'd be a little bit disappointed to see that being tested in such a way when they've repeated other things. Yes, and that's again, just going back to your earlier point, that that is a, a kind of topic that's quite hard for students to grasp. Students will have worked very, very hard at it. And when it comes up, it comes up in a way that you don't actually need the skill of rationalising the denominator. No. And another one, just that I've <laughs> She's on a roll now, <laughs> is isn't it? the compound interest. So there was, there was a compound interest question but it wasn't, um, this was paper two again, it wasn't using the multiplier with a power. It was um, finding an interest rate. Now, admittedly, they needed to use a multiplier to be able to do it, but they could potentially have used trial and improvement mm. there, and I think a lot of them would. And this is question nine. This is so. question nine on paper two. Um, I've no doubt in my mind that the exam board would like them to have done it in a rearranging way, but actually students are going to do trial and improvement. I wouldn't have been as bothered about that had they then asked you to look at the investment after maybe eight years, something like that. So are we testing that compound um, interest formula or are we settling for students that can literally just trial and error, find it, and then there was no more real compound interest after that. And again, when you have taught these students that, you know, go back two or three years, you, you wouldn't have even perhaps touched it. You, you would have hoped that it was one that they could just do for two years and they could do it one year, add it on. You're now really 
pushing towards the multipliers, even like I say with my middle class that were your, your low higher students. And I know that they're getting it right and I'm thrilled, yeah. but they didn't actually need all that hard work. So the point is the point here, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into more questions later, but is the point that the kind of, the demand for the GCSE has supposedly been ramped up. So we as teachers have had to teach far more complex things or topics in far greater depth than we have ever had before and yet when the actual assessment comes around it's not actually assessing the depth of which we've taught the topic no it's, it's the depth but it's also the frequency of and topics the frequency on of topics. there considering that there's three papers now perfect well i'll tell you what we didn't cover before karen because this is one thing i absolutely love about you as soon as you've got the paper you're doing it straight away right oh, and that, yes. that's whether it's an a-level paper oh, or yes. anything like that so as soon as you got your hands on paper one you were banging it absolutely. out absolutely i don't want to form an opinion on any paper until i've done it myself i think it's really easy to flick through a paper and make a snap judgment based on just a surface look until you sit down and do that exam. Number one, I'm not going to remember exactly what was on it unless yeah. I've done it myself. Number two, I'm not really engrossed in the maths, so how it's being examined, what skills are being used within that. Um, sometimes, you know, I want to reassure students. Sometimes I want to use it as a way of, you know, kind of, because we do and we have to, well, that might not come up again. Yeah. Is there any mileage in repeating that? And I think... You know, we're all trying to do that. People are now releasing these, we're not calling them predictive papers, and we shouldn't, but best guesses. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, what is our goal here? And it's, it's to get these students, and this, this is the bit that upsets me sometimes the most, the students that work hard, that haven't always got that natural ability. To me, a, a fair paper is a paper that rewards those sorts of students. And I still feel that there, there might be schools in this country that weren't as abreast of everything, that have still carried on teaching what they've always taught, and I'm not entirely sure that those students were that disadvantaged. I don't think they should be, because it's not it shouldn't be a lottery of what school you go to, but certainly hard work should be paying off, and I'm not entirely sure that that's always the case that's when I look at these exams. That's interesting. And the, the other thing I wanted to ask you, so once you've, uh, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, once you've done that first paper, what are you doing with the kids between papers one and two? And the reason I ask this is because when it was two papers, myself and you did this for a number yeah. of years, we used to bang out our own predicted paper, the predicolator, yes. I think we copyrighted that at one point. Um, but now it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Because after paper one, you've still got papers two and three. And yeah. Graham Cumming even put out a tweet saying, these are fine, these predicted papers, but just remember, we could still retest something in paper one as we actually saw that saw, <coughs> saw was the case and happened. But did you make use of the kind of uh, kind of predicted or best guess papers? And, and if so, which can you kind I of name drop a couple that were useful? Yeah. So, a couple of the, the most useful papers and resources that we used throughout the year is Corbett Maths yeah. and Just Maths. They were probably the two that we used the most although we did get access to a number of others. Being a pixel school, we do get access to pixel papers as well. So we had three decent papers that we actually... This is between paper one and two? This is between it? paper one and paper two. <coughs> I also like to couple that up with a list of topics. Mm. So I'll give them a list of topics and we'll highlight what we've already seen. 
we used to create our own as you say but with the fast turnaround now I'm not entirely sure that that's the best way of yeah. using my time so I would much rather get the resources out and then advise staff within my department how best to use them and you know it's been a tough exam series for year 11 this time and I think if you've got something for them to do as soon as they come in even if it might not be exactly what they're going to see next it settles them again you want to build the confidence you want them to to kind of trust that you know what you're doing so I quite often I'll say to them you know I've been doing this for 16 years we know what we're getting um, the chances are we're probably not going to see this again but we still need to keep it on yeah. our radar we've not seen this so perhaps we'll practice that a bit more yeah. and I think that's what I like about the best guest papers is they put more questions on that they haven't seen before yes. another thing that I really like that we used this time that just Matt shared wasn't her own but um, she suggested as a decent resource was the breakfast workout. Yeah from Joe Morgan they were super. Yeah right? and I really like those the students really really engaged with those because again they were nice decent confidence boosters the answers were there for them yes. to find so they could manage it themselves because sometimes I'm, I'm a massive um, I have a, a big thing about not letting students do questions and do work that they won't get feedback oh, on. Oh absolutely. And so one of our issues when we used certainly the carpet maths was, bless him, you know, he's only got so much time, but that lull, having to wait for the answers. Yes. And you only get so many so many sections of time with the students. Some some schools don't get any time at all. Um, but I, I have to have the answers yes. there for them to see. So one of the pressures that I find is I have to do the answers myself. So everything comes out and I'm <laughs> frantically doing yeah, my yeah, own yeah. solutions to it. And then we either email it out or we, we project it up for the students to mark their own work. But that's one of my big things. Um, and I think that's something kind of worth bearing in mind that they don't always like marking the work. And I think you sometimes have to force it on them. Um, but yeah, I think, it, like I say, it was a nice little settler for them exactly. when you had a period of time. And if you can get them settled doing some maths, then you've already won. Yeah even if the maths isn't necessarily going to be tested again, just thinking Do in you, that way. What's your policy on them? Um, because like, I assume the kids know that you've seen the paper and done the paper. Will you show your answers to kids? Mm. With caution. Yeah. Um, can go either way, can't If it? I've got a student having a breakdown and I think I'm going to potentially lose that student, yep. then I will focus on questions that I know that they'll have got right and that's I'll nice. big that up. Yeah, that's um, nice. Some students you know, they, they want to see it and that's their motivation. So um, I wouldn't necessarily show them a full paper that I've answered, but I would certainly share some answers with them. I think it's really hard when a student will say, I got 2.8 for question five, and yeah. then they're all like having yeah, this discussion. Yeah. For me to then not go and reassure that student yes. that they might be right. I probably wouldn't tell them if they were wrong. Yeah, it's but, tricky, isn't it? Because, I mean, it was bad enough when there was two papers, but if you lose them after paper one, yeah. like two thirds of that's, their exams yet. That's come. always, you know, when, I, when the students come out of that exam hall, I'm always there. Yeah, yeah. I make a point of being yeah. there. And I want to see their reaction and I want to know what am I doing next. 
um, as, as a year, you know, not just yeah. the students I teach. And, and I love seeing them come out, you know, and, and I think they appreciate oh, it. they do. They do, because, and again, it's not just about the math support, it's the psychological Absolutely. support. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just want them to know that it's, it, this isn't the world, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And we were lucky, because they were coming out. I think, I think the thing I do like about Edexcel is they left the worst paper till the end. And I think <laughs> yeah, most yeah. people agreed that paper three was the most challenging. Yeah. Again, I'm talking about higher here. Yeah. I think that was the right thing. I don't know whether it was done deliberately, but I think that helped. So they came out of paper one and paper two really quite confident. But then, of course, you don't want that to be misplaced. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think we were lucky that it wasn't. Um, our students are really quite used to working hard and, you know, they, they do trust in us. But... You, you get those, oh, it was really hard. And you've got to take a different angle depending on who it is. Yeah. Some students need to hear, well, did you work hard enough for it? Yeah. And so I give some of them the reality that yeah, they need yeah, to hear. And some, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, you focus on the bleak though, don't mm. you? You've come out of an exam and it's human nature. You'll remember the, the worst question. Yeah. You'll forget all the bits you could do. So I think at those times, I would remind them of, got this it. is what it is. This is what you'll have done. And some of them want to add, the, add up the marks. Yep. Um, but paper three, surprisingly, they didn't come out as downhearted as I expected. Um, they actually, they were actually okay about that one as well. Okay. Well, let's that, let's dive into some of the specifics then. So let's say that um, let's take you take you back to the end of paper one. So you've seen the paper. Yeah. Um, you thought paper one was so. Again, we're just focusing on higher here. Yeah. Just take us through your thoughts on paper. What, what, what did you think? when you first looked at it and then after you did it? I thought it was quite a nice paper, to be honest. Um, there were some questions that I particularly liked. Uh, I know there's been a little bit of discussion around the squares one, uh, which was question... It was early on. Just can't seem <laughs> to find it right now. Around the right paper, even. Uh, sorry, question six. Oh, yeah. So this is question six. Hi. Yeah. So I did like this one. Um, I don't think it's anything that you could have prepared them for, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I like students to have to do a little bit of problem solving. Mm. I think students that are used to writing on diagrams would have been a slight advantage, and I liked that. Um, and I think it's just something that it took a bit of thought, and, and, and I, I did quite like it. But in terms of a question that I liked, that perhaps we could have predicted and that tested a lot of skills, eight was another one of my favourites. So eight, and so what, that what did you like the, about eight? It, it, was, it, it interweaved a few different topics. So it was the perimeter of a right-angled triangle. You were given the length of the size and the ratio and they had to find the area. So it was testing, you know, learning, ability to use a ratio, a few things, and it was quite a nice, accessible question. And it, it fit in with what we've seen in the specimen papers as well. And I think that's another point to mention is quite a number of questions that we've seen throughout these three papers didn't, again, look perhaps like what we've been used to seeing. And it's, again, because you're not saying you don't want every question to be predictable or no. anything. And you've picked out, like the previous one, the square one, I don't think any kid in the country would have seen yeah. anything like that before, but you liked that question. Yeah, I liked that. And as part of a fair paper, that's fine for kids to see something Absolutely. unusual. Absolutely. Um, I liked paper one for quite a few reasons. I liked the box plot. I thought that was a, a nice little confidence boost partway through the paper. And that's important as well, right? Absolutely. Have, so that's question 10, isn't it? 
I thought questions were quite well placed as well. I also liked um, the gradient question 19, the perpendicular, I felt like that was testing quite a number of skills as well. So your, your top hire would have appreciated a question like that. And I, f I feel like that, you know, there's some decent maths within there. Because it's not an easy question, but it's not, not an easy they're not deliberately out to screw them over or anything like but that. But then I turned over and I didn't particularly like question 20. Um, so simply what's, what's because this, this is solving the inequalities. Right. And I, I don't like the fact that students could potentially solve it simply by just plugging numbers in. The answer was quite nice, two, three, and four. Um, and so, you know, was there enough maths? Could could a student that was just, you know, pretty decent at guessing mm. do better than someone that had learned far more quadratic inequalities? And this, it's interesting, because this goes back to your point that you, that you raised earlier, that it's almost disadvantaging the students who have worked really hard at this topic. Yeah. Because it's almost harder to get it right that way than it is for a child who's never seen this before, yeah. but just kind of takes a bit of a risk, bangs some numbers in. Absolutely. I think it would have been nice if they'd have said, do not use trial and improvement yeah. on a question like that. So then I guess, is, is the counter-argument that we want to encourage kids to look for kind of smart, sneaky Maybe. ways to do things? But I, I, I well, think I take your point. More. I think I think that's, that's really the biggest question that I've asked myself when I've looked through all these three papers is what is the purpose? Mm. And I'm not always sure that I know. As in the purpose of particular questions. <coughs> and because you, you said question. to me, what are they testing? Yeah. What, what is this question testing? Yeah. So for example, if we take question 20, is is it testing kids' ability to solve tricky inequalities, or is it testing their ability to plug in numbers and because kind of bear in mind quadratic inequalities is a new spec mm. topic. I think I'd have just liked to have seen that on its own tested. A straightforward question. Straightforward. But there was still challenging mathematically. Yeah. But you had to you had to know something about quadratic Absolutely. inequalities together. Okay, so that's that's paper one. But you you were reasonably <coughs> right. you're okay with paper one. Yeah. Now we turn our attention to paper two. So what, so what were your thoughts kind of generally after you, after you did it? Was it? This was okay, was it? Yeah, again, I thought it was a fairly straightforward paper. I was interested, where's the challenge yeah. again? You know, I think it was easy. Well, I wouldn't say easy, but I think it was possible for students to walk out of that exam having got 100%. Um, but there were lo loads of questions again that I liked. I liked the equation of the line for question three. I felt like, you know, students had, had seen that before, they, they were well drilled on that. It was something that we were expecting to see. I did like the ratio as well, question four, where they had to do a multi-step aspect to it and then give their answer as a ratio. So I, that's one thing I have noticed with the new spec. They said there was going to be a bigger emphasis on ratio, and that seems to yeah. be the case, doesn't Sometimes, it? Sometimes, though, I don't know whether it's just sort of stuck in yeah just you know just mean? put your answer as a ratio just yeah like is yeah. it just sometimes just kind of shoved in yeah i know what you mean option. i know what you mean and um, the pressure one i'm a little bit kind of unsure here because i don't this it's is not actually this is question six yep. it's not actually testing pressure <laughs> and so you know I don't know how staff have taught pressure. I don't know whether they've literally just told them this is the formula you get, you need to be able to use it, or whether people have gone into more depth than that. 
But essentially that formula could have been anything. Mm. Um, and it really was just testing how an answer changes. So right. the bounds sort of aspects yes, again. Yes. Um, you know, I think students will have got marks quite straightforward yeah. on there. But again, what was the purpose of that question? Um, but there was a lot that I did actually like on this paper again. Um, the functions, question 11, I felt like, again, if I had a top set that I'd taught functions with for a long, long time, I'd be a little bit annoyed at that question because it's something that you could potentially guess. Right, okay. Um, it was just finding values of functions, substituting values in. Um, it might have been nice to have another part to it with an inverse in there or writing a composite function in terms of x. It was literally just plugging numbers in. So I think, again, for... There was more kind of scope there for to make that a bit meatier. Okay. And they might have missed a little trick there. Um, Are you happy with then, your kind of ordering of the questions on paper yeah, two as well? It's yeah. all right, isn't it? Yeah, I did. I did. I've already talked about question twenty, which was the rational, rationalising oh, yeah, denominator. Not happy with that one, yeah. But I did like question twenty-one as well, which was the bounds. And this um, is the last question of the paper, is it? This is the yeah. last question of the paper, and I think again, um, it was. It was a fairly predictable question. I, f I felt like if you'd used the resources that were released as a teacher and the students had worked hard at those, that was potentially going to be rewarded on a question like that. And, and that's something that I did like. And, and when you're saying predictable here, I think it's important to note that you're not saying that a child could do no work and get it right. You're saying that if they've really worked hard at that particular topic, they can be allowed to shine in yes, that topic. Yes, it is. It's about shining. Got it's it. about being able to demonstrate what you've worked hard to understand Got it. and practice and then actually access Got in it. an exam environment. Fantastic. Okay, so paper one and two, things are looking good here. These new GCSEs are pretty easy. And then paper three comes on. Now, we were expecting this to be more Well, we'd kind right? of had a little laugh about this. We wondered whether it was going to be the big turn. Yeah, that the big turn. <laughs> That's right. Because the kids were feeling pretty good after one and yeah. two, right? Yeah. So um, you got your hands on three. What did you think when you saw um, three? The, the question, I don't... I don't know how many people are going to agree with me on this. Oh, yeah, you like this. <laughs> this is the first thing you said to me about this paper. So we're quite que question three. Probably though. the question that's annoyed me across all three papers the most is question three on paper three. Was it this really the, has just annoyed me. Was this me. on foundation as well? This, this was on the foundation paper? as well. And it was the one where they had to find the area of the trapezium and then draw a triangle with the same area. <laughs> and essentially they could count squares and I'm sure that Pearson's Excel don't want them to count squares but if that's the case why has it been put on a centimetre grid and I, again my question is here what are we testing because there's some students that wouldn't know the formula for the over trapezium that could count those squares and draw a triangle and the other thing that concerns me is some students will have counted those squares possibly miscounted, not necessarily have said what they've got the answer to be, and then drawn a triangle with that same area, mm. that are going to miss out now because they haven't written the area yes. down anywhere. Yes. And so they might have a better understanding if they've counted it, for example, to be 20 and it's actually 18. If they've drawn a triangle with an area of 20, but they haven't written 20 anywhere, they're not going to get any credit for that. Got it. And so I think I'd have had... I'd have liked the question a lot more had it drawn a trapezium with measurements on, not on a centimetre grid, and asked them to then 
either give the dimensions of a triangle with the same area or draw a triangle with the same area. But to put it on a centimetre grid to start with, I'm not a big fan of that. It's because what I'm picking up here is, and I don't know, thinking back, I don't think this was the case with the new spec. A lot of the questions you've pointed out here, you could do them in two completely different ways, yeah. so we're not entirely sure what's being tested. Whereas in the old spec, that didn't seem to be the case, no, right? Not so much, so no. Yeah, uh, yeah this is so. interesting. Okay, go on. Give, give us a few more from this. Um, so. There were questions, again, that I did like on paper three. We did like, as a department, actually, <laughs> question 19, which was the two right-angled triangles, and they had to create an equation out of it. Yes. That's I, quite a challenging question, right? I did, and it, and it wasn't something that you could necessarily... See, this is what I want to make a point of. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't necessarily have predicted that, and I don't want to always no, predict no, no. it, but when you look at it, you think, oh, yeah. Yeah. Because you, you've been steered in that way with other questions that have been released. And I like that. I like to think that the exam boards have put some thought into it yes. to kind of give you a flavour of the types of questions you might get and here's something that perhaps yes. you've not thought about. Yeah, and again, it goes back, it's rewarding the right things, yeah. right? So a kid who's done no work isn't getting that question no. right. But a child who's been taught well and put the effort in has got a real chance on 19. Yeah, to yeah, shine. Like yeah. And we liked 18 as well as a department. That's a new topic, iteration. The way it, it sort of progressed, the fact that the equation was nice to be rearranged and then it was a straightforward iteration there. We, we did like that question as well. So that whole page, that double You're page, right we were quite happy <laughs> with. Um, and then the one I... Second to question three. Question three was my absolute hate. Across all three papers. Yeah, so this okay. is probably my next one, okay, which good. I didn't like, and that was question sixteen. And I tell you what would have, what would have made it into a question that I would like, if they had said, show that. So if they'd given all the um, What's context the question of the about? questions, so it gives them the nth term of a sequence. Yep. It tells them the second term. It tells them the fourth term. And then it wants them to find the sixth term. So right. to all intents and purposes, it's embedded simultaneous equations. Okay. If that had been reworded in some way so that they had to show how they got right. the simultaneous equations, and then the next bit was find the sixth term, right. okay. I would have probably enjoyed the question a bit more. Because I don't think on the surface it's a bad question. I understand what they're doing. Um, you know, I had a feeling that they would embed simultaneous equations in it wouldn't just be a, a solve yeah but I think a lot of schools were expecting more like two t's plus three coffees equals yes sure, three sure, t's sure, sure. plus two coffees equals and so I understand why they don't want to go for that you know hugely predictable but for students that had learned simultaneous equations there again they didn't have any opportunity to shine because unless they could form those equations they couldn't then go on and solve it so I think change it to show that and then the ones that can't do that yes. bit that's your you know your more perhaps middle ability can then still go on and have some success that on that sense. question that makes sense and what um, any other questions before for, from this I, paper I don't or, think so. no. what um what, what were the kids reactions to uh, to paper three as i say not as bad as i thought now there might be two reasons for that it might be relief that eight maths is over <laughs> I think what we have to realise, I suppose, as teachers, we get absorbed in it, don't we? And we don't always 
um, appreciate that students are never expecting what we expect. So they won't have analysed to the death like we do as teachers. They will perhaps have just took it at face value. So we've had a look at the three papers. One other thing I was going to ask you, Karen, was ex other exam boards. So, so we do Excel here. Did you, did you take a look at AQA and OCR? Yeah, and I probably should have said this when you asked me what we do between the exams. Um, I get access to other exam board papers if I've got colleagues at other schools that do those exam boards. And I also get access to the IGCSE um, from Edexcel. I always look at those. And I'll tell you why. It's not necessarily because I think that that's going to come up again, but it's another opportunity to expose our students to questions they've never seen before. Yes. And I think the more that you can do that prior to the actual exam, the more resilient you're going to make those students when faced with a brand new question. So are you looking at, for example, at the end of paper one, you're then looking at topics that haven't come up in paper one and you're hunting them down in AQA or OCR Yeah, sometimes like I it. don't hunt it, I might stumble upon it. So I'll give you a question. good example. We hadn't had recurring decimals to fractions yeah. and I felt that, you know, there was some scope there. They would be asked to show this recurring decimal gives you this yeah. as a fraction so I think a number of us probably were predicting that would happen AQA had put a question on where it was two points and it might have been four or five recurring and we've never exposed our students to anything other than zero points yes, yes, and yes. just that tiny little tweak I felt could throw some thing. of the shakier students so I exposed them to that question before they went into paper and three. Do you use, would you use other exam board stuff in the build up to the exam? Yes, I think that there's certainly um, mileage in doing that. I think the way that it's laid out, perhaps, yeah, I would sure. avoid. So I would perhaps create my own paper having used. So we do some hall sessions in between our exams as well. Um, getting all the students together in the hall just to do some exam strategy. And again, trying to find questions that they've not seen before. I would delve into AQA, OCR and the IGCSE. We use the IGCSE quite a bit. Just on that, that whole strategy, how do, how do those sessions work? So um, we have it set up like an exam hall and I do a little speech beforehand to get them on board because they come in and they see, oh, am I doing another exam? Because it's set out exactly like the Exactly. Exam. And so I, I explained to them that research has shown that if you can revise in the same way in which you're going to do your exam, that can benefit in terms of recall. Yeah, nice. Like yeah. Now, I don't know how true that is. No, but that's one of Bjork's desirable difficulties. Yeah, I like, I like So this. there that's we nice. go. So that's, that's how I get them on board, and it does tend to work. And then the idea behind it is they have a printed booklet We've, we've created questions from all our different sources. So as I said, the IGCSE played a big part in that. I loved some of those questions on the IGCSE. And we have written solutions to go with it. As I've said, I have a real issue with students not marking the work. So they, they all get their booklet to write in and then they get a smaller version of it with our solutions in. And so they can then, if they want, work at their own pace because we have all hiring together and we'll have all foundation in together. Um, for the ones that need perhaps a little bit more in the way of exam technique, we'll do some timing aspect to it. We might model how we would do it. Kind of on a visualiser or something. On a yep. visualiser. Um, and it, it's really just about keeping it paced, yep. how they're laying it out. 
and to some extent it's making sure that they're all getting that same diet I suppose before they go into the exam rather than relying on all the other teachers to deliver it independently get them all together and um, and they can they, they do it like that and then we know that they've all been exposed to the same thing super fantastic well last few questions for you Karen just just to kind of summarize and um, what surprised you and what didn't surprise you about this this year's exam series I think the biggest surprise, even though last year was to some extent the same, it surprised me that they weren't as different. Different to as the old to legacy yeah. yeah. You know, we're all expecting this ramp up, we're all expecting it to look different in terms of these new topics. And you could actually, I think, pick up this paper and a legacy paper and not necessarily know that there's been a shift. Obviously us as teachers that know those subtle changes but on the surface not a big change. I don't think that that's a bad thing but I think staff that have put an awful lot of effort into revamping the schemes of learning and ensuring that all the content's there could be a little bit disheartened because as I said earlier staff that have just carried on doing the same as they've always done aren't necessarily disadvantaged. Got it. Um, what didn't surprise me, I suppose, was the papers were more accessible than perhaps they were last year. And, yes. and I think we kind of had been assured of that, and I think that that did deliver. Um, so I think that was a, a good thing, really. I think that students, on the whole, were coming out feeling good. We overanalyse as staff, as we say, but I think for them, they felt... I think when they reflect back, they might think, oh, I never actually expanded a triple bracket, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and I'd really, like, worked hard on that. But they probably won't feel as cheated, perhaps, as we do as teachers, and that's a good thing as well. Got it. And uh, if you were to speak to, to Graham Cumming or NXL as a whole, what, what advice would you have for them for, for improvements in the future? I think I'd just like two things, really. One more topics to be tested and I understand that they can't test everything but I certainly think that we should stop testing some things more than once and allow other topics to come in so that it doesn't become playing a game a, a, a look, a gamble experience, I don't think that's fair on anybody and the other thing that I'd like is when they're asked to form an equation um, so I'll, I'll go back to the question, the trigonometry with the tan um, where they had to form the equation as two algebraic fractions and then solve, and the one with the sequences where they had to come up with the simultaneous equations themselves and then solve. I think there should be an element of show that and then a second element of solve so that you kind of differentiate in between your, your challenge there. So you'd expect your grade eights and nines to be able to form it, but you're not disadvantaged in the next part, should you not be able to actually form that equation, you've still got an opportunity to shine what you've learned, be able to solve a simultaneous equation, be able to solve um, an algebraic fractions equation without not being able to get to that point. Got it, that sounds very, very sound advice. And final question before I let you go, because we've got your core four students coming out any second now. We have, now. yes, I've got to go and meet them. So last now. question is, is there anything that would cause you now to switch from Edexcel to AQA or OCR? I don't think so. And I think at the moment we're in a settling period, aren't we? I think there's a lot of change going on. 
and ultimately you want your students and your staff to feel as secure as possible within that and I think it's already hard as it is it's already difficult to kind of attribute results and, and performance to, to different things to then change the exam board as well I think adds another dimension that I think we, we need to give it perhaps four or five years to bed in and then that doesn't mean to say I'm not going to keep my eye on the other exam boards. I did go through that period of reflection last year and I think it, to some extent it, it might have, have been an easy option maybe to jump ship to another exam board and see whether that was a better kind of thing for us. But we've always done at Excel, the staff are comfortable teaching at Excel, the, the students are familiar with that structure of exam and I think why unnecessarily rock the boat at this stage. And there's nothing AQA or OCR could do to persuade you? AQA could perhaps remove the lines from the questions. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not sure that I particularly like the multi-choice aspect of AQA. I think that there's opportunity there that students will guess. And I think it doesn't help that they don't give them working out space, so it's kind of gearing them towards guessing sometimes, and I think that's a dangerous way because they potentially have only got a 25% chance of getting it right and there's there's a number of marks that add up to that risk and I, I don't think that I'd want to go down that route. Perfect so there you go so we've heard from uh, my headed farmer my boss Mrs Wilkinson so thank you very much for finding time I mean you're knackered aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean we say this every year but has this been the hardest one ever maybe? I think so I think um why is that? Why does it keep getting harder now? I think it's not just year 11 for us. I think we've got the legacy A-level finishing now for year 13. We've got the new A-level for year 12. We've got VSIT GCSE as well. I think it's just sometimes balancing the whole thing. And we are still in a period of settlement, so I think, you know we're still kind of finding our feet a bit with this new spec and, and, and I've now got to find my feet with a new A-level spec mm. as well. I just, I think it's a difficult time for everybody right now. Well, we're near the end of the year, so hopefully you can have a bit of a rest. And you're getting married, aren't you, as well? So you know. I am, yes. So luckily I'm marrying a very organised man that's basically <laughs> doing all the wedding planning right now. Um, he did make me sit down yesterday and do some wedding stuff. <laughs> So it was nice to have that distraction. And, and to be fair, it has been a nice distraction this year. And it is definitely something to, to focus on when it gets a bit difficult at times. Super. Well, Karen, I cannot thank you enough for finding some time to speak to us today. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Okay, Graham. So first off, welcome back to the podcast. Now, if you remember, you were our second ever guest back in 2015. So thank you for, for making a return. Is everything good with you? Very good. Thank you, Craig. Yes. Good. Super. Well, we are. Well, I guess my kind of first question is um, all teachers around the country are kind of breathing a sigh of relief that, that GCSEs are over for another year. Did you no. get that same kind of sense of relief as well? Um. I don't at this point because for, for us they're not over for another year. <laughs> not really till the results are out. So um, that's also oh, good. It's always good to see the papers go through and know that there have been no errors. There's been nothing dramatic about them. 
if you like. Um, they seem to have been tear-free for, for the students, as far as I can tell. Seem to have been a, a reasonable experience. So as long, once once the papers are out and and we know that there's not some sort of disaster attached to them, yes, breathe a sigh of relief then, definitely. Got it. Super. Well, um, first question, first kind of proper question for you, Graham, is is what did you learn from from last year's uh, series of exams? Because I know that we did Edexcel in our school, and there was a general feeling that they were very very difficult Edexcel, and especially when you kind of compare them to to AQA and OCR. Was was that something you felt, or was there any any other lessons that that you learned from last summer's series? Last summer's series, I'd say lessons learned that come from every introduction is that if you are bringing in a lot of changes, the more changes you bring in at once, the more difficult it gets and the more time you need. And it felt like we hadn't, we don't get that much time these days for, for new introductions um, of, of curriculum. Um, and it, it meant that I didn't feel that we were able to prepare teachers enough for what was what was coming um and i hope that teachers were able to overcome that to to prepare their students but just in in preparing documents and publishers getting textbooks together and things like that um it felt that with with all the different changes at, at once it was so hard for everyone to know you know quite what was coming um so if I'd, if I'd learned anything and I would possibly wouldn't have control over this is to say, let's give it a bit longer. But I think we say that for every introduction of, of every new curriculum. Don't we? Can't we have more lead in time? <laughs> we certainly, we certainly do. But um, again, we'll, we'll dig into kind of co- the complexity and the challenge of the papers later on. But or did, did you have a feeling that were well, last year's, were you happy with the challenge for, from last summer's papers? I, no, I think that um, they ended up being very difficult for the for the cohort that we have. I don't feel that we shouldn't increase the challenge at this level, certainly. Um, but I would like to see examinations again where students show what they can do rather than what they can't do. And I think that the criteria, the change in the criteria. Um, has upped the challenge enormously and particularly say with the different ramping of the paper making the second half of it um, the sort of the top end saying the higher is aimed at the seven to nines um, and the foundation mainly the four four to five in the in the second half and that's made it so much steeper um, in challenge and that is the criteria and we've got to look at, at how we address that in some ways um, so that we don't get papers that are really too challenging for the majority of the of the students. I think we'll go into that a bit later with some of the other questions. Oh yeah, we'll be d- digging deep into that, Graham. Don't, don't you worry about that. Yeah. So <laughs> let's move now then on to just the. the um, pra- oh, sorry, so go on. I just I just add on what we have learned. I hope that we put into the 2018 papers because we do get a chance to review. Um, after the 2017, we did have a chance to review and examiners looked at the papers for 2018. And although they couldn't rewrite them entirely from scratch, they could look at some aspects that could be changed. And that was particularly looking at the first questions for the foundation tier and making them more sort of one mark ones and looking specifically at the crossover questions at the, aimed at the grade four and five students 
and making sure that they were appropriate. Because I think in 2017, there were one or two that we might have said, well, that's a grade five question, didn't turn out to be at all. So in the foundation tier, it ended up being two testing. So I think we've, we've, examiners have tried to look at that, you know, and make sure that that's been appropriate. And it has felt a lot better this summer uh, in terms of those of those things. So, so Everything I've is, is speculative at this point in saying I think it was a lot better because <laughs> until I see the data in some ways, you know, I wouldn't really say I can say that's definitely true. There are always questions that surprise you in how well students do or how badly students do from what you expected of them. That's interesting, that Graham. So they were the two kind of biggest changes. Um, and again, we, we don't know whether they've been successful or not, but it was the start of the foundation and the crossover. Well, was any, any attempt made to change the kind of challenge at the top end? I don't think it's to it's to change it. I think, do you mean the top end of the higher? Yeah, sorry, top end of the higher, yes. Um, I don't think so explicitly, but... Uh, this is another question we're coming to about the grade nine students. So maybe I'll, I'll save it till then to a certain extent. I like it. Um, but I, I do think you've just got to be careful that you don't end up with a lot of questions aimed at a really tiny proportion of the cohort. Um, so I think there are still very testing questions at the top end that I'd say I'd want to see more students getting more of the marks on those on those top end rather than one or two spectaculars as it were got it fantastic you, you're doing a good job here graham as te- teasing us with what's to come as well this this, <laughs> this, this is perfect this well let, let, i don't know what's to come <laughs> i'm saying that in capital letters <laughs> right well let's let's dive into some of the practicalities here because i'm always fascinated by this about just what kind of different people go through what what they experience at different points of the whole exam process so yeah. we, we've heard from karen my head of department about what she does the night before on the day of the exam but I, i'm interested from your perspective graham so so first off when when, when do you or did you see the papers for the first time for, for this summer series? I see the papers after everyone else. I see the papers after the students have done them. Um, if I'm fortunate, I'll get them on the day. Um, if not, I will see them the day after. It's, it's the off-call requirement these days that anyone who has access to live materials can't go out to do the teacher meetings and things like that and, and podcasts like this, if you like. And that's a major part of my role these days. Um, so it does mean that I don't see them. What I would say is what I do at the meetings and, and hearing from teachers, I can feed back to examiners and I've fed it back, say, last year when we looked at the examiners were looking at the summer's papers, but they were also looking at a series of mock papers that we had. So I was able to, to go through those a bit with, with some of the examiners. Um, to get a sense of the changes that were coming or, um, you know, the principles that were being applied to the crossover questions and the early foundation tier and things like that. OK. And do you do you actually do the papers yourself or ha- have you done them yourself this, this year's? Oh, yes. Oh, I, I, I do do them. I don't do them under exam conditions, it must be said. Uh, so I pick them up. I probably start from the wrong end because I think, oh, what's going to happen at the top end of the high tier? Look at that. Um, you know, I'll do them being interrupted. I might go through and say, yeah, can do that one. Know what's required there. Can do that. In my heart, feel I can do that one. Yes. If I get, and then I get to one where I go, hmm, I have to think about this a bit. And that's where I, well, this will be a difficult question. I like to think I can, uh, 
breeze through a GCSE. That's probably not entirely true. <laughs> but if, if I have to stop and think about it, I think, yeah, that's, that is going to be a, a tricky one for, for many and, and get a sense of the paper like that, really. Um, foundation, I tend to do in a rush. And I never get 100% on foundation. <laughs> Terrible, wasn't it? But in a, in a sense, in, in doing it in a hurry, it gives me a better sense of where those students are likely to make mistakes. Yes. Because they're making the same place I do by not reading the question properly or thinking, yeah, I know what's required here. So it's quite an interesting process in that way to, to put myself in, in their place. And that that's in a way how I do it. That's interesting. That. And do you do you do anything with kind of uh, your experience of the paper? Would you are there kind of similar people within Excel or all doing the papers? And then do you kind of get together and have a have a chat about your own personal experience? Or is it yeah. just just something you keep to yourself? No, there's one or two. So we, we do tend to um, talk about them later or, or say, what did you think of this question? You know, how did you how did you feel about it? So it's, it's one or two that we will talk to about it and we will try to feed it. Um, back to examiners, you know, the experience that we get personally, but also that we receive back from teachers via meetings or via emails and things like that. Got it. Superb. Um, I'm, I'm also interested, Graham, at what stage of the entire process you're at your most nervous? Because I know for the kids, it's kind of when they're queuing up to go in or when they kind of open that paper for the first time. For us as teachers, it's probably when the kids come out, like that's the first time we get a sense of the paper when kids either shake their heads or they've got a big smile on the face. So, well, yeah. At what part of the whole process are you at your most nervous? Huh. Oh, not through the summer. I tell you when I'm the most nervous is the first teacher meetings I have to do when I have to talk about the paper. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, that's when you're at the sharp end. And I suppose, actually, I can say I'd be nervous before the paper because if it's going to be a horror, I know that I'm going to have to go out and talk about it in September. So you could say, yes, once the third paper is over and I can say there wasn't anything too terrible in there. Yeah, then I'm, I'm maybe not so worried about the thought of going out in September. But <laughs> say last September, you know, after the summer 2017 papers, because they were so difficult and so different, you know, it did feel that uh, I was a bit worried about that. <laughs> Teachers well, are always very friendly to me on the whole, though. That's good. That's what I like to hear. That's good. And um, how about your actual on the day of the exams, Graham? What What are you doing there? Are you? Are, are you well, Chris, are, are you checking Twitter? Is that would that be a big thing for you? What, oh, I will. Yes, I always like to have a look. See how far. I, I mean, I, I check it in the morning just to make sure no one's making any comments before the exams. <laughs> so that's one. That's one thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's although you know students aren't exactly hugely positive about exams, you can still get a sense of mm. how well or badly it's gone from what they say. Um, so it's it's quite a useful measure. Uh, and for me, because I chances are I won't have the paper, I can see if I can construct the paper backwards from the comments. <laughs> yes. see how many questions I can anticipate <laughs> and do you have it like uh, I mean I don't know if you do or not but do you, do you find amusement in some of the things the kids the kids say oh, sure. even yeah. though even if it's a, even if it's about one of your questions is, is that all right yeah oh occasionally they're hugely entertainment entertaining um sometimes they do what all the students did the year before yes uh, and I've seen more Hitler reacts videos than I care to <laughs> think about um <laughs> But yes, occasionally a, a student will uh, will have a moment. I think uh, we had one question where this, where you had to pick out an error in someone's calculations, and uh, one or two students were saying, "Edexcel are so lazy; they're teaching us to do their marking for them." 
<laughs> quite like that <laughs> they are good they are very good and the last question about the kind of practicalities grave is it do you look at the other board's papers and do, would you do those as well have you any interest in what kind of aqa oh, yeah. are, they're up to yes yeah no we um we all see each other's um papers and uh, i do like to do them i haven't i've looked at them but i haven't actually sat down and done them all the way through as yet um but yeah it's it's interesting to see and you go through and every now and again you think that's a very good question i wish we'd had that one or you look through and you go really <laughs> don't like that one so much that's that's inevitable you can do that with with any with any paper but it's it's you know it's nice to see what's um, what's going on elsewhere that's interesting. I, I, I like the idea of kind of you, Andrew and Neil all in a room together doing each other's papers. But that, that doesn't happen. Does it? That doesn't happen, does it? No, no. It doesn't. But hey, who knows? that'd be a good TV show. That, I think. Yeah, cool. I mean, cool. it would it would be great to have a sort of three way uh, discussion on that, whether that would ever come about. I don't know. That would be good. That would be good. Well, we'll see what we can make happen. Then. <laughs> uh, right. Well, let's move on to some specific questions on the paper. So we've had Karen, my head of department, kind of going through, picking out some of their favourites and uh, uh, least favourite questions. But I wonder across the three papers and it can be foundation or higher. Do you, do you have any, do you have a favourite question or a couple of questions you particularly liked? I got a feeling there'd be fewer standout questions this year, which in some ways for me it feels like a good thing um but uh you know, hannah's sweets never hurt <laughs> um the one that teachers have mentioned and i i did like because it was unusual but it was was doable was the squares and coordinates question yes uh, because we hadn't seen one like that before and that's paper uh, is that paper one is that right i think it was paper one i think it was across both tiers um as i remember um, but it, it was it was using you had to find the um, dimensions of a square um, and use that to find a coordinate of a of a a point that wasn't on a corner of a square. It was interesting because I did it more as a mathematician and a couple of others I know did where we worked hard to find the overlap point of the, of the point on the square and you didn't need to do that. It actually was a lot simpler um, way of doing it. So that's one where it will be interesting to see the students' responses and see if we can work out how how they approached it. And it's it's interesting that Graham, because Karen, my head of department, picked that out as one of her favourites. What made you like it in particular? I think we are drawn to questions that we haven't seen before. In a way, I I liked it because it was using your understanding of of coordinates to solve a problem. Um, and I think that if you, you know, if you feel a bit more confident with your maths, you don't mind a question that's a bit of a puzzle. Um, but puzzles can be quite hit or miss on exam papers because they, we get told that it's something the student either sees or doesn't see. Yes. Uh, and sometimes it's, it means it's all or nothing in terms of the marks. Uh, and there's also the criticism of, well, this isn't applying your maths in any way. This is just solving a puzzle. Mm. One or two questions will always be like that, I think, um, because they are testing a skill and testing whether you can use your knowledge to reach a solution. I don't think it necessarily has to have an, an immediate application. Um, but there, you know, there's a whole spectrum of questions as to how much they are applications and how much they are just purely 
sort of mathematical exercises. Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting that you both picked that one out. And anything else you you, you liked, Graham? I was, I was having a look. Um, there was one about red, blue, and purple counters in a bag, and you had them in a ratio, and you knew the probability of a purple counter, so you had to find uh, the probability of a red counter. I like it because I I've been doing some work on student-friendly mark schemes. Um, which I've done for the past two sessions, doing them for this one, which is a combination of a, a sort of model answer and um, an examiner's scheme to say where marks are given, what bit you have to reach. And I intend them to kind of explain to the student the way through the question, um, what they have to do and where the marks will be given. And just in this one, I found it very difficult to do there's a there's a kind of almost holistic understanding of probability to get to this, and I found it quite difficult to break down into a method where you could explain it step by step. Mm. And that's where I felt it was combining quite a few things at once, combining ratio, combining probability, um, combining that understanding in a way that didn't break down that easily. I mean, it's, it's a question 16, so it's sort of, Grade eight, nine-ish, um, but I, but I liked it for that. I liked it because of it's not immediately obvious of um, how it should be done. Yes, that, that's it. And were there any questions on there, Graham, that you felt were particularly good discriminators? Because from my limited understanding of kind of uh, writing uh, exam papers and stuff, that that's something you're looking for, right? You want questions yeah. that kind of sort things out. And, and any that did that particularly well. It's, it's discriminators at what end in some ways. Um, I do think there are a number of questions towards the end that are discriminators of the top end of, of students, without a doubt. I don't have any problem with those, especially at the end of the, the third one. Um, something I have been to one and a half of the examiner's meetings on the on papers one and two. Um, one they told me was, was falling out was the one about... Um, Raya, who buys a van, um, and you had to break down her um, deposit payments to her higher purchase payments in a in a ratio, um, and then you had to reduce it to the simplest ratio, and that apparently is proving a discriminator, you know, even with the best students of, of whether they can break down that ratio. And that's a question where you might think, well, why do you need to do that? But it's again, it's a can you do it? sort of question you know can you sh show understand the ratio and show how you break down a um a four-figure one to a two-figure one yes and that was that was one that came up um others that i think uh have proved tricky um the one of the force of 70 newtons acting on an area of 20 centimeters squared apart from student protests that this is all about physics um <laughs> If you can substitute where you are supposed to substitute, you don't really need to know any physics, um, but you have to show whether the pressure decreases by more or less than 20%. And students are finding decrease of percentages a lot more difficult than increase of percentages, it seems. Yes, that that is interesting. That and um, when I when I was talking to Karen, we we got talking about discriminators, and and one question 
that she picked out that she wasn't a big fan of for this very reason was, and I forget now whether it was paper two or three, but it's certainly on the higher. And it was the one about a quadratic sequence that essentially turned into simultaneous equations. And her point was, and you had to, I think you had to work out what the um, fourth term was or something along those lines. And it was quite, quite a, do you know the one I mean, Graham? Um, I'm having a look through. Uh, <laughs> this is my bad plan in this, but people can be people yeah. can be flicking live to find this one. Um, and Karen's point with that one, and I thought it was an interesting one, not something I'd considered here, was that she would have preferred it to be broken down into a kind of part A and part B, where part A was a show that where they had to mm. essentially put find the simultaneous equations and, and and get the expression, and part B being kind of the substitution element to find out what the what what the whatever term it was. And her point there was that there will be quite a few students who could have accessed the substitution bit, but yeah. they were kind of denied the opportunity to do that because they couldn't get to that stage because the more complex thing was these simultaneous equations bit above. Um, do you have any any thoughts on that? And this goes back to kind of Karen's general point with the paper, that the, the bits, the questions she didn't like were the ones where kids didn't have the opportunity to shine. She kept going back to this. Kids yeah. couldn't show what they could do. So you could have a child who will be, who'd be working on the substitution all the time maybe it's like a grade kind of five or, or six kind of student nailing substitution left right and center and here's their opportunity to, to kind of do some substitution and yet they don't get that chance to do it because they mm. they can't get to that stage in the question whereas breaking it down might have given that that opportunity well would, is there anything in that grain that you'd agree with i could see that point i think the criteria we have now as part of the reforms of the gcse are the twofold that there will be more questions that test different sorts of mathematics within the same sort of problem. So you'll see geometrical questions set in a kind of algebraic way that we might not have had before. So we've had and we'll have a quadratic sequence and simultaneous equations. And the other thing is the unstructured aspect of the questions mm -hmm. where we have been asked to take away those A and B, take away the show us you can do one bit and then show us you can do another bit, which I can see does make things easier. And I try to take some of those problems and do them as bronze, silver, gold versions where we do break them down to allow students to, to find a way into to problems for, for practice, for working up to can you deal with a problem where the structure has been taken out and you will have to find what you can and can't do. I think it's a, it's a shame if we really have got a question, and I think I'm looking at it now, but I haven't worked it through, because I think it is on paper three, that the easier part is the second part. You, know, you would hope that the easier part would be the first part, and you ramp up through the mm. question. Um, but I, I think it's valid, and it's part of what the requirements are now, that there should be some questions with less structure, and they will be more difficult for students. I know they will, um, and you might discuss it with them afterwards if you've got a chance where a little bit of help would they'd say oh yes i did know how to do that i just didn't see it was there i think that's just going to have to be something that we accept at the, at the top end um of the uh, of the higher tier papers now yes no that, that, that makes perfect sense um, and kind of on a similar theme and um, there was a question on rationalizing the denominator, and I think this was, uh, again, I should have written this down, Graham, but it's, it's either paper two or pa paper three. And Karen's, Karen's point with this is that, and again, this isn't something that, that I considered, but I think this makes a fair bit of sense. 
That is, if you imagine that you've got a class and um, rationalizing the denominator, a pre pretty tricky, pretty tricky skill. And you imagine the class that you have, um, you've kind of really, you've, you've focused on this one. You've gone into kind of great depth on this one. You then, when they're then tested on, on rationalizing the denominator and the way it was tested um, in this paper, you could almost get it right um, without being able to rationalize the denominator. There was, there was ways to kind of access that question that didn't kind of call upon that skill it was asked in quite quite a strange way in, in the part a and part b and and i think it was kind of spot the spot the mistake that had been made in, yeah. in both in both parts and karen's point there was and it's, it's it's quite hard for me to articulate this one but hopefully this, this makes sense is that is that fair on the kind of students who've put in loads and loads of time on rationalizing the denominator and then you'll get a kid who just hasn't bothered with that particular skill um or hasn't been taught it or whatever or hasn't revised it but can still probably have a decent chance of getting it right. It almost seems like you're not rewarding in that particular question the students who've put in the big time on that topic. Does, does that make sense at all? I can see what you mean there. Yes, I think the question you're referring to was set for a particular assessment objective, which is this one of critiquing an argument and finding where the mistakes are. Um, or showing how you can do something better, which is a difficult one to test in a timed written examination examiners are finding. So the the one that you've spoken about, I think that you're speaking about, is a is only a two mark question. Mm, yes. Um, if your student hasn't put the work in, they might look at that question and then look away and do something else. Yes. Um, the ones who will still take a stab at it without having worked on it, I, I think that's admirable that they will still try and find something. Because um, really, in, in this one, you're not actually, like you say, having to rationalise a denominator, I think. I think it was a mistake on the numerator. Um, yes, that's right. I think part uh, A was essentially testing your knowledge of negative yeah, numbers and operations. Yeah. So yeah. In, in that sense... <sighs> Finding the mistake, you might say the mistake isn't that major, but it's couched in some fairly fearsome-looking mm. fractions. Um, so I could I could agree with you, yes, that, that there is a way through that, and it's not the one you're expecting because you don't have to do a vast amount of, of multiplication um, on that one. Um but I think it, it was specifically more to test the assessment objective of, yes. of, of the argument rather than to test rationalizing denominators. That makes sense. And again, we could do this with any exam paper. No exam paper is going to be perfect and, and no questions are perfect. But again, this is just fascinating, this, Graham, to hear that, yeah, it's you, you've got so many things to consider with, with writing this exam paper, right? It's not just yeah. that you, you, you're just testing content. It's these assessment objectives that you're kind of legally bound to, to kind of include yes. in the paper. And it's it's possibly those that, that cause cause the issues sometimes if, if teachers aren't aware of them. Um, can, can I just pick out one more question? Because this was, I, I promised Karen I'd do this. This was her yeah. least favourite question across <laughs> all three papers. <laughs> she, she was like burning red in the face of this one. And it's interesting because when I looked at the paper, I didn't see it as much of a problem until she mentioned it. So it's a paper three from, from the higher and it's a crossover uh, question as well. And it's question three, uh, which is the trapezium. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's really interesting, this one. And I'll tell you Karen's objection to it. Well, Karen's question to you that she wanted me to ask was, what are you testing here? Because Is it is it the case that you're, you, you're happy just for kids to not, not essentially know anything about a trapezium, just count up the squares, not really know anything about the area of a triangle, and essentially just kind of draw a triangle that matches the same number of squares as the trapezium? Or are you are you wanting to test area of trapezium and triangles if that makes sense as i say she really wasn't happy with this one and i'm, I'm fascinated to get your take what is what is question three testing i haven't had a chance to speak to the examiners about this after receiving your question i'm afraid so it has to be speculation on my sure, part sure. not having been involved i think there's a likely explicit testing of whether students can remember the trapezium the formula for the area of a trapezium that they're no longer given and that might be one to use that to find the area of that trapezium um, but if they can't they still have a way round as long as they can remember you know that a, a triangle is is half the area of the square if you like of the rectangle and make that two triangles and a rectangle to find the area it's a bit like counting squares, but it's not. You can't actually so easily, literally count the squares and half squares. I think in that question, or it will take you a little while to do. Um, so I think it's it's two ways of finding the area of a trapezium, and and just using that to know that the area of a triangle is is half the area of the rectangle. Um, so I don't think it's that testing. It is only question three. Mm. So. You know, you think it may be being fairly gentle up to that point. Um, a sort of a grade four-ish question. Um, so that's that's my take on it. I don't okay. think there's anything more sinister than that. <laughs> um, and I, I looked at it and thought it was quite simple and straightforward. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, I can't promise you that Karen won't be hunting you down at some point to follow up on, no, on that one. No, <laughs> I'd come back and say, speak to me in August or September, sure. where we've got the data on that and see how students do at either foundation or higher tier, and you know how the grade seven students do against the grade four students on that question, and we'll try and work out whether there was a problem there. Got um, it. I got will. It. I will ask about it. I'll be at the examiner's meeting for this one on Tuesday, and I will ask the examiner then. But that will be too late. But. <laughs> That's perfect. Cheers, Graham. And before we kind of dive into some questions from Twitter, just just one more from me. And you, you, by all means, you can dodge this one um, if you like. Whilst you were doing the papers, was there any questions that you didn't particularly like? Um. Well, I always particularly like dislike them. I can't say that anything struck me as dislike. I can see some that I think, well, that will cause a problem, and th those will be um, those will be difficult. Um, the ones I really dislike is where I feel I have to go through a, a whole reams of calculations to not get much of an answer in the end. Mm. Um, but I don't think I don't think we've we've had those. As I say, I didn't think there was anything this time that was that was particularly stand out as as incredibly difficult like the two cosine rule problem that we had in um, last summer i thought there was still enough to test at, at top end certainly um but nothing that i sort of felt a visceral response to i must say okay no 
No, but but you had in 2017 when you did the papers, you you did have that feeling. You had a sense that perhaps some questions weren't going to go down well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Got it. Got it. Okay, well, let, let's move on to Twitter, because um, when I announced your uh, appearance on the podcast on Twitter, there were questions flying in left, right and centre. So I've, I've tried to kind of uh, get through as many of these as possible and break them down into, into sections. So I'm, I'm going to give you some nice warm ups to begin with, Graham, because you've had some tricky questions to start off with. So let, let's lure you into a false sense of security uh-huh. here that things are going to be nice. So Simon Cox on Twitter asks, <laughs> what's your favourite bus number? Because this is a reference to the wonderful way that you did countdown to the uh, GCSE taking pictures of buses. So what, what's your favourite bus number? I don't know if that's my favourite bus or favourite number because uh, I <laughs> 127 is one of those numbers that seems to turn up a lot. It's a it's nice Mersenne Prime um, and I think there's some selection bias in my life now that I always see it when I see it. So I thought I'd choose that as the bus. Nice. But it is a South London bus, you know, and at this time of night, who's going to South London? Pat needs a tooting. I've never got it. I can't see myself getting it. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. And, uh, South London is there. I am one originally. <laughs> it's lost lost on me as a northerner, that grain, but I, <laughs> we'll leave it in. Um, and Richard Deakin, we, I mean, you've mentioned this question already. Richard would really like to know who wrote the squares question. And he says it's an absolute classic and he'd love a stack of cool questions like this, please. And I think this is an interesting one because um, I don't know if you, you're allowed to say or you know who wrote it. But I think I really like your um, the booklets that you put together, particularly the, the kind of themed ones of questions. And I wonder, is it possible to have essentially a stack of, as Richard says, kind of cool questions, which are these questions like that that are a bit out of the ordinary that as as karen said when we were discussing it that kids will definitely not have encountered before um is is that something that's possible and and do you know who wrote that question i suspect i know but i don't know for sure Sure. i'm not sure if it's someone who wants to be named so sure sure uh, i might um reserve on that one um Putting a collection of cool questions together, I thought this is like sort of predicting what's going to be a number one record if we still have such things. <laughs> Just to say, you don't actually know. You think you know, and then it's a, it's always a surprise. So you don't know which is going to be the cool question that uh, that everyone loves. If I collect cool questions from past papers, they will be questions everyone has seen, and you'll go, well, I have seen that before. Yes, yes. Um, so it's very difficult to do. I could probably gather up some that aren't seen very often, but a lot of teachers would look at them and say, yeah, I have seen these before. Yes. You know, if you're like, Hannah's sweets hadn't been seen for 15 years, but now everyone's seen that. Well, I hope yeah. they have. Um, so it, it's very difficult. And, and in saying, you know, can we have a stack of those questions, is you never know which question that's going to be. And I... I I also think that if you stick too many of them in a single exam paper, people will say, well, now it's just full of stuff we've never seen before. You know, we yes. really didn't expect all this coming. Um, it won't be so cool then. <laughs> and what a teacher thinks is a cool question is not necessarily what a student thinks is, is one. I know that. That's very true. That's very true. Right. Well, now we're on to the tricky stuff, Graham. You've had your two nice questions there. So oh, back, <laughs> back to the hard one stuff. So I want to talk about difficulty and I'm going to come yeah. straight in with a question from Gemma Sherwood. And she just asked very simply, why were this year's exams so much easier than last year's? Yeah, so much easier um, <laughs> and easier being such a, a weighted term. I think that we certainly uh, 
worked on looking at what had gone wrong with last year, if, if we felt it, it was wrong. And um, we, as I say, we have approached the early questions of the foundation tier, um, the crossover questions, and maybe thought again about what happens at the at the top end so that you don't get a lot of, of wasted questions in some ways. So I would hope they are more even. Um, and it may, I think maybe a corrective was required, if I if I can say that, get myself into trouble, um, <laughs> because the grade boundaries were very low, and and uh, last year's experience was a difficult one for a lot of students who nevertheless got their grade four or above, um, but were getting it on around what the seventeen or eighteen percent in some cases, um, so not really telling us a lot of what they could do. Um, and we haven't been used to that in the past. I've, I'm not got to worry myself about high grade boundaries if that's a good experience for a, for a student. And we still get a reasonable distribution of grades about that. But if you compare any papers and say, this is easier, this is harder, you can do that, but you've got to know what the requirement is. You know, a paper where you only have to get 20% of the marks will be easier than one where you have to get, uh, will be harder than one where you have to get 70% of the marks. It's, it's what you're requiring of the student in some ways, isn't it? How much do you want them to be able to show that you can do? And I do, I think it has come up so often over the years, um, and it's come up in the international comparisons that have been made looking at, uh, school exams across the world is you think before you can compare, you've got to know what the requirement is for whatever arbitrary pass you set in, in a way to say, you've got to know what you want shown. Um, I know in the past, you know, we've had, and not necessarily us, not necessarily GCSE, but there have been exams set where it all went horribly wrong. But because there was a requirement to pass a certain percentage of students, it had to be really, really low. Mm. You think that just, that's just an exam paper that didn't work. It was it was attempting to show that it was tougher, that, that students had to learn more and there was more rigor. But in the end, if they didn't have to show it because it was so hard, it hasn't done much for you. Yes. Um, so that's, a, that's a sort of rambling response to saying, Papers are, are difficult to compare if you're um, not sure of, of the requirement, um, in a sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes perfect sense, Graham. And, and I guess the, the difficulty of your job is, is kind of expressed by, by David Owens, who tweeted him, that was, which is kind of almost, well, it's, it's, a related, it's a related point. So I'll just read out what David yeah. says. So David says, all papers were excellent. So that's a positive start here. They were balanced. There was chance for pupils to feel that they they a chance in it. However, were the grade nine topic questions dampened down a little bit? The very best pupils maybe needed a challenge only for them. What, what's your response to that? This, I think, is about, again, what we want a grade nine student to be. Um, and I will go back to A-levels on this one as well. Um, is to say, is this a student that can do one or two of the spectaculars? Can they do the mm. double cosine rule question that in the end, I think about one in 200 students could do um, correctly? Um, 
or is it a student that can answer virtually all of the questions on a paper allowing for one or two mistakes or one or two mm. slips um, they are they can be very different sorts of students um, and this it came up when a star was introduced for a level back in what, about 2008 I think I may be wrong there uh, and they wanted to consider, universities particularly said, we want to see the, the students who've got great flair in maths, you know, rather than the ones who can plod through and get mm. everything right, which is a bit demeaning to the plodders. <laughs> and, you know, having been one of those myself in my mathematical career, um, I admire the, the, those that can do the spectaculars that seem to understand exactly what's coming at you in a, in a single thought, it seems to me. You know, really talented people who who can do maths that way. I think that the A level at the time and now doesn't actually pick out those students um, because it's got to be for everyone. So at the time, they thought about having a an extra half an hour on an A level where they said these will be optional questions that students can do if they are going to get the A star. That was one thing. But that got ruled out because they said in the end that would tempt too many students who probably weren't of that standard. They would waste yes. time on it and yes. they would do it at the expense of what they were doing. So that was taken away. And in the end, the Advanced Extension Award was introduced. And originally that was across a, a range of subjects. Um, and that was intended to be for those flair students. In the end, it's, it, they, it sort of died off for everything except... Um, a-level maths um, and has continued up to this year and I hope that we will be able to continue it ourselves um, because it's it's come to the end of its life as an interboard qualification mm. but there's equally there's the step exams that do that sort of thing as well so there are some university departments that want to see AEA or step because they are still trying to pick out the flair students Yes. And the lengthy route I'm taking to answering grade, <laughs> grade nine is it's the same sort of thing that applies to the grade nine students. Are we looking to see the spectaculars or are we looking to see those that can say, you can throw anything on the GCSE syllabus at me and I will be able to answer all of it. Yes. And I tend to think it's the latter for, for a grade nine. I The grade nine, our grade nine boundary last summer was 79%. Now, I'm thinking I want to see a grade nine student getting up in the 95s or something because yes. they should be able to do everything that's there. I would I would prefer it that way. Um, the other thing about that is that you then don't skew the paper so much mm. um, because if you've got such a large number of questions aimed at the eight and nine, you know, 50 percent of students end up with grade four, five and six in the end um, and they are all doing sort of getting their marks mainly from the first half of the paper so you've got second half of a paper aimed at around 20% of the cohort it tends to bunch everything down in that in that uh, lower end and yes. you don't see so much of what what the students should can do you can get a grade nine without doing a grade nine question you know that's how it had been I would like it to see that you get a grade nine because you can show you can do everything. Um, so it, in that case, you know, whether there's a case there might be for an extension at GCSE, like an AEA, you know, an extension GCSE mm. for those top end to, to show what they can do. Yeah, you know, 
I, I'm not going to be the one to argue that, but but it's it's my personal feeling that I would like I would prefer to see a grade nine being that one that just shows that they have a bit of everything and can and can do it. Got it. That makes perfect sense, Graham. Um, I want to talk now about breadth, and this is this is one of my my kind of issues with with, the, with this series of papers, and I don't know what your take on this is. Um, why test the same skill multiple times? So we've got a couple of examples from this series. We've got gradient of a straight line. I think it actually came up um, three times, or so kind of twice in context. Probability mm. trees were, were both on there twice. And that's fine, but that's obviously you've only got a certain amount of marks to play with. And that yeah. means other topics are going to miss out. So this time we had a few big hitters that just weren't on there. So cumulative frequency diagram, we, we had box plots, but not cumulative frequency. Averages from tables, triple brackets. And then the brand new one, capture, recapture, that I'm, I'm still waiting to waiting to appear. So they don't come mm-hmm. up at all. And I guess the problem is, and I was, I was speaking to a few teachers about this, that teachers put a lot of time in on these topics. Uh, kids yep. put a lot of time in working on them. And it's not that I don't think it's the case that teachers want the papers to be predictable, but what they want is they want them to be fair. And I guess the point here is that it's kind of down to luck here, that if you're a child who's put work in on probability trees and who are good at probability trees and they come up twice, well, OK, you're, you're laughing there. That's looking good. But you could have a kid who's who's put it, who's really good at cumulative frequency, averages from frequency tables, triple brackets. And they just don't get that chance to shine. So I know we can't test everything, but is it fair to test the same skill multiple times at the expense of testing other skills? Yeah, I agree with your sentiments. Um, life isn't fair and probably exams are not a place to look for fairness either some of the time. <laughs> we try our best. I have been into an exam where I only um, studied one topic and that's the one that came up. You know, that very well for me. Um part of a degree exam as I remember so I'm very pleased with that I I do think that examiners are now looking at that it's been a criticism of last year and now it's come up this year as I say we had a chance to review the 2018 but not to rewrite it from scratch so there might Mm. be one or two things that were that were too difficult to rescue in the time that that we had um there is a requirement, Ofcom made a requirement that they said we don't want you to be predictable by saying, by making a tick list. You know, if you've yes, examined the yes. topic one, that it can't come up again. Um, and again, I, I'll say I'm speculating because I haven't been in the exam meeting. So I suspect there's one or two where they said do that, um, where they put it in just because of that. Um, I think the repeated topic areas are addressing different assessment objectives um so there's a slight difference in the way they're tested but Mm. topic does come up twice i did think that with 240 marks rather than 200 it would give us a chance to cover more topics um but then more topics were also added into the the curriculum yes um, so that it's made it harder uh, and some things will always be left out and i know there are some um, that people think well that's going to be a banker because it's been there so often <laughs> and then it doesn't come up and i know that is disappointing and and i think with any sampling of content in an exam there's always an element of you've got one student who did study it and will revise it and the one student who didn't um and it's going to it's going to make a difference that is the problem with with sampling it means that it is worth working on everything and revising everything because you don't know 
Um, there's a sense in which you haven't wasted your time. I also feel that although teachers say, oh, I spent ages teaching the student to do the sine and cosine rule and it was all wasted because it didn't come up. I think it's a shame if they think, well, it was wasted to teach them that skill. You know, uh, they might use it if they go on to study maths later. I accept that people may never use the sine and cosine rule again um, if they don't take a, a mathematical route. Uh, but I don't think in the end it's something we can guarantee. I think there is a requirement and it, because it's recognised that you can't get every topic in, that everything should be tested over the three year period. Um, but that could include the November exams, possibly. But to try, examiners do look at what's um, what's been tested on all the papers to try and cover it in a in a cyclical way, um, so that it, it will all come up. So you probably all start looking to next year's to see what's what's been missing. Um, in the past, you didn't get such widely available lists of these topics have been in paper one and paper two, so revise these for paper three. That I know teachers have always done for their students, but yes, you know, on, on every um, internet platform possible, um, <laughs> in, an, in an attempt to get ahead of the examination. And fair enough, I know that they do those things. So, in, in summary, I think it's a combination of of a requirement that we try not to make the papers predictable, and you can do that by having the same thing twice, or you can do that by taking a topic that you don't include. But ideally, yes, you would have a bit on everything if it was possible. I still think it's a squeeze for the size of the, the specification and the content to get everything in sensibly, unless you start having really short questions. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Graham. Um, we're going to move on to, I was going to say an easier area, but I'll tell you now, there are no easier areas mm. here. Um, comparisons. So you, you mentioned that you've, you've seen um, AQA and OCR's papers. What, what did you think of them, Graham? Oh, I think they're lovely. Um, <laughs> I um, it's hard for me to comment on other boards' papers. Sure. I don't. I worry more about our ones um, and what we did well and what we didn't do so well, and where we might do it differently in the future. Um, but I'll get ahead of, of a question I know was coming up about ours seem to be easier or less yes, challenging this yes. year than the other ones. And my original answer to that was going to be everyone's entitled to their opinion on this. Um, mm. But I have had a look since and I can still say you're entitled to your opinion. I'd probably just say I don't agree with it. I can't actually see it myself looking through the other board's papers um, that ours are particularly less challenging. I think, you know, we have changed them from last year. But in comparison to the others, I think we're still roughly on on a par and I wouldn't presume to say anything yes or no until I'd seen the data. And I will see the data on, on our papers, certainly, and every question broken down atomistically um, to to the, the performance on average for students at every grade. I'll know what percentage got naught, what percentage got full marks, that sort of thing, and get a sense of the questions that way. I don't. As far as I know, AQA and OCR don't make that available, so I can't make the comparison with theirs. Perhaps they will start doing so. And then, but I, I've taken a few questions where I think we're essentially testing the same thing and put them side by side. Mm. Some I think, yeah, maybe ours is a slightly easier example. Sometimes, some I think ours is a slightly more difficult example. Um, so overall, I haven't felt it. Um, 
But I would say that, that I haven't worked through the others' papers yet properly, um, and I haven't seen the data on them. So I I really do feel that's up in the air at the moment and becomes a, a matter of your own opinion. Got it, got it. And just just the only other thing on the comparison, and this was was uh, both Hannah Radders and Simon Cox wanted to yeah. to make the point that they felt that the the Edexcel papers were easier than the other two. And but just Hannah had a, an extra additional thing that she said that presumably this will uh, be dealt with by hiked grade boundaries for Edexcel. I know obviously you can't say for definite, but if you're a betting man, Graham, would you imagine the grade boundaries will be higher this summer than they were for last summer? Given the uh, the comparable outcomes, unless there's been a change in the cohort, means that the percentages, the distribution across the year mm. 11s will be much the same, doesn't it? So it'll be around 20% will get 7 and above and 70% will get 4 and above. Um, in that case, yes, I would like to hope that students got a better mark yield on this summer's papers than last year. And that the the difficult thing always to, to edit out is how much was it down to the paper and how much is it down to the improvement of students. And that's really a lot of the work that the teachers have put in. How much yes. better now that we've seen a year through the GCSE, how much more do teachers know how to prepare their students for that? And that's a very difficult one because a lot of teachers have said to me, well, it doesn't matter how much more work we do, you know, we're still stuck with there will be a certain number of passes yes um, and there you know there's something in that i did see some Ofqual had put something on their website somewhere and they put them in different places so i can't remember where but they did say they were aware of that um concern and they were looking to ways to address it so i haven't seen a follow-up to that yet and that might mean there isn't one or it might mean i just haven't seen it um to see how how that will be addressed that feeling that whatever work you do um the, the rising tide is going to lift all boats kind of kind of feeling um yeah it's, it. it's difficult but but yes i would hope the students will get more marks on these papers um and essentially yes that would have an effect on on raising the boundaries that's the way it's always been really um where they where they rise and fall um and maybe it'll be the same for, for the other boards. I don't know. Got it. Got it. Cheers, Graham. Well, next up, we're, we're turning to the issue of literacy, and there's a, yep. some cracking questions on this one. So so Ben Rooney um, tweeted in to say, does Graham feel that the literacy demands of the foundation paper are right for students taking the paper? And he makes the point that reading ages of LPA students can be five years or more below their chronological age. Now, yeah, this is this is a concern I've heard from from a lot of teachers, that it's not the, um, it's not the, the lack of maths ability that's stopping kids accessing these questions it's the literacy demands what, what, what's your take on this particularly with regard to the foundation paper well the first thing was my searching on what LPA students are me too <laughs> yeah me too I think that's just his school I hope so I hope I, that's not. good I'm glad I thought I'll just chuck that in there just in case you know but I'm, I'm assuming the same <laughs> um, so I think that's just the school they come from um, it's something that we do look into a lot and uh, i know you know i certainly can say there were one or two last year that you, you see them afterwards and think that that could have been done better so we look at what the requirements are but i i do feel that 
there will always be some reading and some writing for students to do in, in maths papers. Um, there are some who feel, wouldn't it be better if it was just a list of purely maths questions and could look like, say, our number and measure papers or the algebra awards, that it was was literally that. But I think that if you're studying maths at this level, there's got to be an element of what you use it for. There's got to be an element of here's a problem that we're setting out. You've got to be able to represent it mathematically and you've got to be able to explain what you have done in, in solving that in, in mm. some places. I, I really wouldn't like to move away from that, but that does introduce a literacy requirement that you can read the information that is given um, and be able to represent it mathematically i just think that's part of the criteria and i do appreciate that that students are at different levels of of what they can do in terms of reading but they're similarly they're different levels of what they can do mathematically and the gcse exam although it's tiered is catering at at 16 for such a range of ability yes sometimes you feel at the bottom end and the top end the gcse isn't necessarily the right qualification um you know many Students at 16 are, are way beyond the requirements of GCSE, could do a lot more. And unfortunately, at the other end, there are some that, that have trouble you know, accessing the, the papers. So we've, we've got to say this is the standard we expect at age 16. You can try your best to, to include everyone, but maybe there are always going to be some that, that aren't there. And I think that's still part of the the literacy requirements i presume and i don't know that other subjects must have this students going to geography exams read a a fair bit um science exams where what you're reading and the literacy part is not necessarily the bit you're really testing yes um but it's it it is still part of it so we we look very hard to try the you know certain words that we try and leave out and we try and use certain contexts that we think that students will understand what is required of them. There will be somewhere there are mathematical words in there that have to, you know, that have to stay. Um, but we try and keep the sentences short and sharp so that you're not reading long sentences with subclauses and things like that, that there aren't paragraphs. We try and do it in the spacing so that it is clear what is the information and what part is the question. Um, things like that that sort of thing to to just make it as as clear as we can but as you move up you know through the through the paper the more difficult requirements of the maths can mean there's a a more different difficult requirement of the context um in preparation for this question i really have been through looking through the papers this summer uh, um, and i don't i don't think that we've made you know the the blunder we had last year, if you like, with the theatre and the circle and the stalls, which is a, a context. <laughs> except that not everyone knows. Um, but this time, you know, we're buying a house. We have, you know, we have hockey team. This is just me turning the pages. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of questions that are purely mathematical context um, where you don't have to read. So I hear it a lot. You know, people saying, oh, there was too much to read in this or it's easier to read in one of the other boards. Yes. But I don't see many concrete examples where people will send it to me and say, this is a question testing exactly the same thing. Look how they've done it. Look how you've done it. 
don't you think you could have done it better? Um, we always welcome, you know, welcome that sort of feedback if you want to send it to us to say, here's a better example of, of how this could be done. Um, but I think that, that examiners, again, have worked very hard on it. I, I'm not a great convert to the idea of a word count and the fewer words you have, mm. the better your paper will be. And I have done this in, in meetings where if you remember last year, we had one about the bloke who makes cakes, the dreaded 420 cakes, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and some are chocolate cakes and some are banana and, and there's some <laughs> in a ratio and there's some like that. And there was a lot of information there. But actually, if you just set that out as three mathematical equations and said find L, it looked really hard. It looked much mm. more off-putting than if you were reading about the baker and his cakes. It really That's did. I think there are some questions where you strip them down to just basic equations and give them to your students. They'll find they have less sort of traction on that sort of question. I think that context in some cases really does help. That's interesting. That's interesting. Got a couple more on the literacy uh, thing. Uh, Grace Dang uh, kind of flipped this on its head a, a little bit and said, was the emphasis on four and five mark questions fair on the less able students or those with low literacy skills? And I guess this is the other side of it, that it's one thing to kind of read and understand a question, but it's another thing to be able to kind of communicate your, your answers in an, in a four and five mark question. Um, was that a concern for you, um, having looked through the papers, or, or are, you, are you happy with the balance? I, still, I think it's concern overall. I don't think it's anything that changes differently to a grade four and five. Mm. Um, again, I think the, the, those questions, as you're moving up, they are just getting more challenging anyway. And that's how I think we ne we want to see papers is that they are ramped, so that they just get steeper as they go through. You know, we don't sort of stick a hard question at number three just because we want to mix it up. It is to encourage the student through as far as they can go you know, with their ability. We certainly want to give students a confident start because we don't want them in tears at question two um, <laughs> and not able to go on from there. Um, so I do, I do think sometimes you have to just pull the literacy out from, from the maths and say, is it is it the maths that's really demanding here? Um, yes. So I've just opened up uh, question 1F and really towards the end, there's not actually a lot to read. The only one that a bit more really to read is Juan and his cycle race across America which has probably been our most famous question so far this, this summer um, and one I like for other reasons I should have remembered this one before because this one was one I quite liked what do you like about that one because yeah students love, students love this one because they could uh, they could do a few gifts about this well, what did you like about it I, I like it because it's testing estimation which I think is something that students find so difficult as a as a concept and maybe that's because so many have the idea that maths will always be right or wrong and it's deadly accurate mm. but this is not, not about that this is about coming up with a reasonable estimate from some very precise measurements yes. um, and it's how you you break them down and I know that examiners have seen some very precise answers because students without a calculator have been doing the divisions you know on this um, with the figures that are given um, and it's such it's such a great skill to be able to estimate well and quickly um, and I, th I think students have trouble with that i think we've seen here that 
essentially, you know, we're saying it's a 3,000 mile um, race and he does 15 miles an hour. And that's, you know, that's where you can make an immediate estimate. Yeah. You're 3,000 over 15. We've still seen students who have been taught to say, I have to do this to one significant figure. So they make yes. the 15 into a 20 and then do 3,000 miles divided by 20, which is a bit, you know, just a bit harder than when you were doing 3,000 divided by 15. Um, I like it because it tests that. And, and, and I like it because this is a legitimate context because there is a cycle race across America, which does take about that long. <laughs> um, you know, and there's probably someone called Juan who can beat it. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's realistic in, in that sense, even though you may never have been aware, like I wasn't aware that there was, this cycle race existed. Um, but, uh, yeah, just as we are going off on a slight tangent, that's, that's why I like this question. I would, I would love, students i'd love everyone to be able to estimate um my mother tried to estimate how many slabs it would take to redo her patio <laughs> and luckily she took it up with me before she ordered because she would have had about four <laughs> lorry loads coming around <laughs> i think she confused feet and meters at some point or she linear with area length something dreadful but luckily i stopped her I like it. Maths in action. I like it, Greg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, final question on the literacy one. This is this is from Katie Cottrell, and she opens up a tweet with help and two exclamation marks. Yeah. Um, so we know we know there's trouble here. Um, how can we support low attainers to gain marks on these papers? And she's referring to, uh, in particular, grade one students here. And she says, assuming grade boundaries are similar, does Graham think there were 10 easily accessible marks on each of the 2018 papers? And then back to the same point, given that these students generally tend to have poor literacy skills also but I, I guess moving away from the literacy a little bit were you happy at the lower end that there was enough marks for students to, to gain that grade I am but I think in a sense those first 10 marks define what your G stroke one student is I can't say that I think there are 10 marks that every student there is will be able to get mm. um, because there is a point, if you like, at which these exams start. You know, they, they test across a wide range, but I don't think they, you know, they test every single student. And there are qualifications for many students, like the entry-level ones, for example, for whom um, the GCSE is maybe not appropriate. Um, I mean, in helping support low attainers is a long time since I taught anyone, so maybe I'm you know, not not necessarily a person to ask, um, but I don't think they're they're that wordy. I think maybe you know you can go through everything and say maybe that one was was a bit difficult, um, but they are fairly number based questions. Most mm. of them, I think, as question six before algebra comes in on one, and algebra is a great requirement across across both years. Um, so in the end, I'm not really answering this because I say I don't I don't know. I think that the, the GCSE papers set out the requirement, you know, the, the opening questions set out the requirement of what we expect um, for a for a grade one student. And that's the point that they, they've got to reach. But I I don't think myself that there's an enormous literacy requirement on these but there is still a sort of mathematical or at least arithmetical requirement without doubt got it 
Got it. Well, Graham, <laughs> now let me give you a bit of backstory here with this one. So we're going to turn to tiers of entry. Um, yeah. Now I, I was in a meeting the other day and I sat down next to Mel from Just Maths and I, and I mentioned that you're on the podcast and I said, did you have any questions? And straight away she's firing loads at me yeah, in the course of the next few days. And there's some crackers. So I've, I've narrowed it down to three from Mel. So we're going to do two in this tiers of entry and then another one a, a little bit later on. So the first question from Mel is this. Uh, the percent of marks from questions that appeared on both tiers, i.e. the crossover questions is slightly higher than last summer's and mel just makes the point that she's done the sums on this yeah. and she wonders can we expect similar in future papers and then she thought don't quote this technical spec to me i know what it says so what's your take on that graham are we are we going to expect the same kind of percentage of crossover questions going forward now yeah i'm glad she knows what the technical spec is right <laughs> 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 it says um yes i would think so i don't think there's an absolute solid you know one number requirement on this i think there's a range of of the sort of percentage so i think it will vary um she did all the sums across all the boards and it was slightly varied across the boards so i think we've got a, a range in there uh it says one less requirement on the examiners that that will that will be helpful but it is it is those questions that are used in um a process that I can't say I fully understand the percentile <laughs> chained um, thing that, that goes on, um, but it's it's they do use those across the the two to to look at. But I, I didn't think there was a requirement that it shouldn't be able to change a little. I don't think by changing those percentages slightly every year that it that it would have a huge effect. Um, no. I, I may be wrong. So yes, similar in future papers but not always exactly the same. I don't think it's going to rise and rise and rise or anything like that. Yes. It will just be variable. Got it. Well, that, that's probably the easiest of Mel's three questions. So I'll, I'll come in with you a second one. Um, she then says, will the percent of grades three, fours and fives that are awarded on each tier be similar to last summer? Um, and she makes the point that last year, 90% of grade threes came from foundation. Well, will that be a similar percentage that we'd expect to see going forward, Graham? I can't say that you can say that because we don't really have the information. I think there has been a shift again to foundation again mm. this year from last year. So more people are putting students in for foundation rather than higher tier, um, possibly based on the experience of last summer. I would think that if that increase has happened, that's going to be more of students who are more around the grade four, five sort of student which means there'll be more of them in foundation and fewer in higher, which may change the percentages of grades that get awarded at each tier. Mm. Whereas overall, you know, I expect it will still be around the 70% of students who get four and above across both tiers. Uh, but some more might come from foundation just because there are more students entered into, the, into that. What I think is it's not a set figure that has to come from foundation a set figure that has to come from higher every year that has to stay the same because that would that would skew things terribly um so i think that's fluid the the difficult thing for me is to say is to say how how do you decide how many fours and fives there are from foundation and how many fours and fives there are from mm. higher and you do that by setting a boundary and deciding a, a standard but i think uh a student who gets grade five on foundation is possibly a very different sort of student who gets a grade five on higher or, or even let, let's say the fours because the fours is just about, you know, 
the one who, who scrapes the pass, as we call the four. Um, so I think it's an unfortunate term, but uh, but that's what we call it. The one who, who just scrapes the four might have yes. got, say last year, around 20% of the marks, something like that, whereas the one who gets it on foundation has at least shown they can do a lot more of what they're presented with, even if they haven't studied a lot of the content at the higher tier. The one who gets a four on the on the higher, you hope they've studied more at the higher tier, but you don't necessarily know. Um, and I think that that's what's become the hardest thing for teachers to do, isn't it? Is to know which tier of entry. And because of the accountability, there's a lot are not saying I'm sticking my student in for the tier that I think is most appropriate for them and mm. best experience. It's become I will stick them in for the tier where I have got the best chance of of getting the pass and certainly up until the start of this new specification we've seen it increasingly more in the higher tier and people putting them in to get a grade e and we've seen them putting in the higher tier to say it's an easier way to get a grade three and i think that's, yes. a, that's a great shame and and maybe there's you know there's a question mark over that may have too many been given at the higher tier at the expense of foundation is is there something to to look at there I think what there is to look at is to say, what do these students look like? The the fours and fives, what do we expect of them to be able to say they are of a particular standard? You know, in a perfect world, if you've got a student who's a grade four, it shouldn't matter which tier you put them into. But we know it's never perfect and people get different uh, opinions. I, I, you know, I meet teachers who say, the foundation was much better for my grade four students and then they get the teachers who say completely opposite. So everyone has their own personal experience of how the exam went for them and they may change their mind the next time round, and they may say one board is better for higher and one board's better for foundation and things like that. You know, I don't know if you can feel there's any, any truth in that, but people have that opinion. Um, my worry is that uh, is you'll get the occasional comment that uh, oh, I've found your papers too hard. I'm I'm switching my um, my borderline students to another board next year because yours were too hard. And I say, oh, okay, uh, you know that's fine. You're allowed to do that. Which tier are you putting them in for? Oh, the higher tier, definitely. You know, you're taking those same students and putting them in for the harder exam. And and that's the thing where I think it's a shame it it's gone that way. Um, yes. For so many students, this is their last experience of doing maths. Let's try and make it a vaguely successful one. Um, I see there are still as many students as ever were that are saying it's the last time I ever have to do maths today. As they walk into <laughs> paper three, um, you know that that hasn't gone away. I'd like to think that they that they've come out feeling that they were able to to do a fair bit of it, and I, I still feel that our our feeling is that. You know, solid grade four. I still think they'd be better off with a foundation experience. If you've got someone you're pretty confident is a five, then maybe the higher for them, because there's a good chance they get a six, um, which they're not going to get at foundation. And maybe that's why you don't see so many grade fives at foundation, because those sorts of students have been identified to go into higher. But you need, you really do need a good idea of what these students are in a way. To be to be able to to confidently say they're in they're in the right tier. That's great. That that's fantastic, that Graham. That that as a bonus there, you answered yeah. Beck's question oh, there. So that's you know, two for the price of one. That's, that's the... Yeah, there is no answer to that. We are trying yeah. with 
bringing out the sort of short test papers of the crossover questions with the data attached to them to say, can you use this as a diagnostic for your students? If you've got someone that's that's not very confident, can they go into a higher tier paper and deal with those questions at the beginning? You know, they may be really shaken by them because they're yes. at the top end of their ability. What we have found is that, you know, students at the higher tier, they do have to get a few more marks on those early questions because that's where they get most of their marks from. Yes. And on foundation, you don't need to get so many marks on those crossover because you've got other places that you can get the marks for is, is how it's come out. But the difference isn't enormous, I must say, to, to say I can categorically say, you know, a certain mark on this, on these crossover questions means foundation or higher. So it's something that needs a little more looking into. And I will try and do that with the data that's available. Got it. Superb. Well, uh, one last kind of big question from Mel and then just two more to finish, Graham, and then, then you've survived this. So <laughs> big one, though, from Mel. And it's interesting. After Mel said this, I was I was thinking about this a lot. And actually speaking to a few more teachers, this is something that, that's kind of starting to come through now. So, so Mel says, quite simply, what has changed? We've been through four years of stress and confusion with the new specifications. And at the end of the day, nothing's really changed. And just to follow this up, uh, when I was speaking to Karen, my head of department uh, yesterday, she made the point that she wonders whether schools who were really in tune with what was going on with the new specification, with the new topics, the ramped up demand and everything, who have had all the stress changing schemes of work and all that kind of thing to prepare their kids as best as possible. Are they actually in that much of a better position than schools who didn't really know too much about what has changed, just carried on teaching exactly as they'd always taught before? And in the end, actually, nothing's all that much different. So do you, do you have any do you have any kind of take on this, any kind of sympathy, any empathy? What, what, what's, what's your view? Has, has a lot changed, Graeme? I think it, I still think it has. And I think that from what I have heard from a number of teachers, they do feel that they are producing better mathematicians at this level than they had. And they may be the ones that you say are the switched on ones, uh, you know, that have tried really hard to embrace um, all the changes. Uh, I still think the assessment objectives have changed the balance of the paper and some of the things that, that we look for. Um, but I can see what, what Mel feels if she thinks that the GCSEs are going back to, you know, to what they were. I, I still, myself looking at it, I still think there's some tougher questions on, on here than, than there were. So it's, it's changing in that respect. Um, but maybe it does, it does show you that if you try and introduce lots of changes at once, as I said at the beginning, it is very, very difficult for them all to go in at, at one go. Um, in the end, you still end up examining the students that are there and 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 what they know so um that's why i think maybe there's a, a slight corrective to and and that you do it piecemeal you know you can you can change things piecemeal um but my, my feeling is that yes there have been a lot of, of years of stress and uh, and confusion but i i think that some things have changed um, it's maybe not as dramatic as was hoped by the architects of the uh, of the original changes, um, but I still think that, that the papers we're setting, we've got some things in there that are, are showing that, that the standard to 
has changed. And I, you know, I don't think anyone would disagree. You know, we would like to see better mathematicians coming through the system. We would like to see people better prepared for, for A-level, prepared for, for work and for, for other study um, with the maths they know. So that's still what everyone's aiming at. It's, it's just how you get there is the, is the subject of, of much discussion. Um, what do you think you mentioned there, Graham, that you, you don't think there's been as much change as the original architects of the GCSE wanted? Where's that difference? Well, what's what's yeah. the difference there? What did they want and, and what's what's well, not come through from what they wanted? I mean, it felt like the, the original introduction was we will you know, have math, math, mathematicians who are as able and confident as those from Singapore and from from Hong Kong. And this will uh, come through the whole system. We'll be able to uh, deal with with problem solving. You know, we'll be able to take um, maths in different contexts and, and apply it. And I, I still think those are the purposes of the change. Um, but I still think there's a way to go with that, don't you? Um, mm. You know, from from what well, you still you still feel that. I don't know. I, I still think are oh, our mathematicians at this age as good as those from China and Singapore and, and things like that? Maybe not, but there's a huge other context to that, isn't there? There's a huge other context of how things are taught in those countries. You know, we hear about the, the Japanese um, who have the observation lessons and then they have a load of time to discuss them, discuss them and they don't, you know, they don't teach that much during the day and things like that. that, that changes the context of, of what's achievable, things like that. I probably, I'm wandering into a whole world that I know about, <laughs> no, so but, I have to be, uh, I have to be very careful here. So but you're right. I think that is a very broad response, I think. No, you're right, Graham. And, I, and I'll, I'll just add to that, that I think, yeah, you, you can't just change the assessments and think that everything else is going to magically change to, to match these, these other regions and stuff. I, I recently, um, we attended a session by by Ed Southall at Research Ed, and he made the point that yeah, we can't just kind of pick and choose various aspects from these higher performing regions. If we're going to try and recreate it, we've got to embrace everything. So we've got to embrace the the, the less teaching time, the collaborative planning, or even even things as simple as the the beautiful board work that that happens in some of these these regions. So yeah, yeah no, I, I I agree with you on that. And final two questions, Graham. And <laughs> I think I asked you this uh, back nearly three years ago now when you first appeared on the podcast but it, but it's come back round from Paul Jenner and it says can Graham justify the need for different exam boards um, as students across the country are having very different experiences in their GCSE maths exams what's your take on that well I can't justify anything um, and so <laughs> above my pay grade this is, this is what we have and it is a historical accident from universities setting up their own boards weren't they originally as, a, as an entrance to, uh, to yes. university and one or two of them are going back to that if you like so in a sense we've got a lot fewer boards than than we had um yeah i, I will probably stay away from uh, making any justification <laughs> uh, about those but um you can understand that you can understand the point though right you can okay. understand that, that just with again it really came to light last year when it was a new specification so a lot of people were thinking is now the time to do the switch and we didn't know what the papers were going to look like different yeah. awarding bodies were offering saying different things different supporting resources and so on and then you kind of well you either take to twitter or you do what you've done and i've done and many teachers have done you look at the papers and you, th you think to yourself 
yeah, actually that paper would have sort of suited our students better or that tier would have suited our students better. And it just feels that that shouldn't be something that teachers should be concerned about. That that yeah. it shouldn't be a lottery, it shouldn't be a gamble. And and it just seems then you can see how a jump to it is quite a small jump to think, well, the solution to that is let's just have the same experience for all students. Where where's the flaw in that argument, Greg? I don't think students are having very different experiences and I'm not sure the students actually notice the experience they're having because they don't know what's different on mm. the whole. I think it's the teachers that, that perceive that it, it is different. And I understand there are so many different decisions that have to be made and you have to decide which tier I think is the hardest and you have to decide which board because of the accountability you feel that any decision that you make might be the wrong one, you know, which board, which tier um, and, and things like that. And I can appreciate that teachers would say, I would like one of those, at least one of those decisions taken away from me. Um, and it's why some advocated having one tier for mathematics, which I think mm. would be quite difficult to uh, to pull off. Um, so I appreciate it in in you know, in that respect. And I can see all sorts of pros and cons um, for the for the system we have. Um, but I, I, I will not get myself into trouble. I will step back from that one. That's uh, fine. Yeah. Well, th thank you for commenting on that. Anyway, Graham. And last question from me, and I guess this is too soon to say, but any have you learned anything already from from this series having looked at the papers seen initial re reactions from teachers or, or or is it a case of wait until you've had all your examiner meetings and, and the data comes in i think it is a case of waiting um but i do feel that we've been able to address some problems of, of last summer and take some some rough edges off the side uh, um you know with some things that that went wrong and and adjust to those so that we've got a a much more balanced assessment um and if we have an exam where there are no tiers which i think we have more or less achieved this this summer um that's always better than the alternative um so my my lesson is is to say anything that we can do to make it as as positive an experience as possible as you know, there's very few people that like going into a maths exam and certainly at, at age 16 so if we can make it something where students can feel um, successful and that we can you know we can get some decent grade distributions and we can get some fair results you know uh, for for students um, that's the best that's the best thing that we can learn to get some fair results or some some positive experiences and still move towards improving what students can do over time and, and you know how things are taught in, in schools, um, then, yeah, then I'll be very happy. That's that's great. Well, I can say just anecdotally, um, our kids came out of uh, came out of the exam. All three papers actually happy. Uh, Ruby, one of my year 11s, said uh, described paper two as sweet. It was one of the best best experiences that she's ever had in her life. She absolutely was absolutely buzzing after it. There, kids found paper three hard, but not like unfairly hard. So yeah, 
we certainly had a, a bunch of happy happy year 11s after that Graeme so fingers crossed uh, all will turn out well for results day but I just wanted to, to thank you for two reasons firstly um, firstly thank you for giving up your time it's a Saturday it's the the first Saturday of the World Cup, there's four games yeah. going on mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, so thank you for giving up your time to speak to me. But secondly, thank you for, for, for coming on the podcast. And I really want listeners to know that you were you were coming on here no matter what happened with these papers. Like we had this date locked in before <laughs> papers one, two and three. So, I mean, I'm going to be open and honest with you here, Graham. I, I was hoping for a Hannah's Sweet style uh, question to be on here just, just for a bit of controversy. Yeah. But I, li- I like that. It wasn't the case that you've kind of got through the series and then you've thought, all right now it's safe to come on the podcast and speak about it and <laughs> you've been you've so i really appreciated that there hasn't been a single question um from any listener that you've you've refused to engage with so i want people to know that as well you've every question that's been been put your way you've been you've been happy to have a, a stab at answering so i really appreciate as i say your time your participation and your honesty with this and fingers crossed at some point in the future we can we can get you back on the show so thank you so much graham thank you very much craig it's been very enjoyable